All right, welcome to the Lights Out Podcast. Chris Lytle is doing color commentary for an MMA event tonight, and he's kind of, you know, let the, the cats run the house. So Miguel and I are carrying an interview with the one and only Steve Berger. Welcome, Steve. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Right, so, Steve, just, just so you know how this normally works, me, uh, Chris Lytle is really good friends with Miguel and I. And sure. we tend to take a psychotic look at people's careers and uh -huh. we take a lot of their time more than like we're supposed to take. And <laughs> usually we, you know, kind of get away with it because Chris is here. And unfortunately he's not. So we're just going to be upfront. We, we, I have looked at your career now for, I, I probably put about 22, 23 hours just really <laughs> examining yourself for this interview. So I got some really in-depth nerdy stuff for us, like, hardcore MMA fans. I, I really hope you don't mind. No, not at all. Are you kidding? I, I'm okay. flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be creepy. Just give me a minute. Give me a minute. Oh, hold on. We've got a guest here that I'm not allowed yeah. to have anymore. We've got to get this guy out of here. Right. <laughs> so, so, Steve, I love it. <laughs> so, so, Steve, your record is 20 wins, 23 losses, two draws, two no contests. How many fights have you been in that are not on your record? Yeah, I, I don't even know. Um, I had uh, I had a guy come up to me, shit, and I forget his name, and he was telling me, you know, oh, you knocked me out. And I was like, I, I never fought you. And he's like, no, you did. Uh, and and I, I just I, – I had no idea. I You know, back in those days, if Miguel or Jeff or somebody would, would call me and say, hey, you want to fight, why well, would fight? I – I really didn't think that this was going to go as far as it did. Unfortunately, you know, I just, I would just always go and fight because uh, you know I could make some money uh, uh, fighting versus uh, spend the night in jail. You know, <laughs> right? So, Steve, you attribute to a lot of your like getting involved in mixed martial arts attributed to anxiety as a child, and it was just easier for you to fight and kind of blend in than it was to communicate and actually like try to figure out where a relationship goes. Do you still suffer from that anxiety or has the fight game allowed you to kind of work around that, that disability? No, I have uh, you know, my wife's giggling in the background. Here. I, I, I just have, uh, I, I have a, a lot of anxiety. Uh, always have. And I had a, I don't even know if you know, Miguel, I, I just had a real rough, go as a kid uh you know i 10 years old my mom was hit by a drunk driver and my dad great great man but uh you know i mean she was she was head injured uh she was basically a paraplegic she couldn't walk uh had limited use of her right arm and my dad great guy everything like that but he just made a terrible mistake he moved her back home into the house. So it was my dad and I who took care of her for shit, 32 years, you know, before she, she finally died. Like she died when I was 42. And, uh, you know, it was a rough deal for me because, you know, a lot of times I could never leave the state of Missouri because my dad was, you know, he was sick as could be. He's always having heart attacks and all that stuff. And here he is trying to be a 24 hour nurse. So when I live with them, I was on that too. But when I, when I didn't live with them, you know, it was basically 
work all day, roofing, then go to the gym, then go, you know, transfer her to bed and help take care of her and then go home and start it all over. So it was, it was really a rough deal for me. And uh, I think that was, you know, it was also a big part of a lot of my anxiety too, because, you know, it was, I, I was not cut out to be a nurse, you know, it was a, <laughs> it was, it was a rough, rough go for me, you know, uh, Steve. You know I, I was, I yeah. was aware of, of, you know, that aspect that you took care of your mom and I knew that, you know, throughout your career and stuff, obviously, you know, we we had dealings setting up fights and things like that, but what you you know what you talk about is a daily, no vacations, no time off type of thing. So yeah, that's a, that's an unbelievable, uh, extra baggage to carry into the ring. So let me ask you, like, did you ever have pre-fight anxiety too? Because if, if anxiety was already in your life, like, was it something that you were worried about, like the fight, or was that something where it was like? Yeah, you know, it really isn't as bad, and you know, it's not as bad as real life or whatever. How how, how did you deal with pre-fight anxiety? Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was tough because there was a lot of pressure on it for me too. You know, my 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 whole dream was to be able to take care of my parents. You know, and and it was really rough. Like a lot of times, like when I started out, nobody knew me, so it just seemed like I was, I had this unbelievable confidence. Like I just can't wait to get in there and show them. And then whenever I start getting better and better fighters and uh, start being like, Oh man, I can't lose this, you know, and that's being, uh, you know, I'm 47 now and now looking back and just thinking, man, if you just would have kept that confidence and walked in, because there were so many times when I'd be in that ring or be in that cage and I'd be thinking, well, I could go for this because it works in practice. But then I'd be like, oh, well, that guy probably won't, you know, he's probably going to know that because, he, you know, whereas it, when I first started out, I would just go, you know, I, my whole goal was to win. And then I started thinking in a defensive mode uh, because I was afraid if I'd get caught with something or whatever. And it just, you know, it just just kills you and stuff. But uh, Okay, but so, so Steve, I mean, just just kind of. One of our questions down the line, and Miguel and I had kind of talked about it in depth yesterday in prep. Our, our main question was, you know, you never left St. Louis. You know, why did you not leave St. Louis? And do you think it hurt you by not leaving? And, you know, right out of the gate, you, you answered that question, which, yeah. you know, and it's and, you know, incredibly heartwarming and, and understanding of, of, you know, why you, you know, stayed put. So you also are a Golden Glove championship winner am i correct yeah i won uh, uh you know i fought it three times and uh i i, I lost twice and then the third, uh, a, a small kansas city golden gloves and i won it so okay know. so was it the novice division or advanced division it was it was novice okay either way man golden gloves especially back then was you know a phenomenal tournament to fight in and, and not an easy well, one to is win. Is there a sound? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Dean, is there like some kind of sound? Dude, I got a fucking train behind me and like. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Okay, dude, I, it's me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Dean, don't cut that. Do not cut that, Dean. <laughs> all right. So, all right. I'm looking at your first recorded fights. You had two fights, and um. It was in a, it was 1998. You win by an armbar submission over Ryan McBride. 
you know what? I'm sorry. That was not a tournament. That was your first fight. So for your first recorded fight in 1998, to win by a submission means you applied yourself somewhere. Where did your submissions come from? Uh, they came from Rodrigo Vaghi. He's a uh, Hicks and Gracie black belt, uh, extremely skilled. Uh, no, I, you know, I owe, I, I owe the guy because I was, I was, you know, if you asked anybody in St. Louis, they knew I was a pretty tough fighter, and I, you know, I, but I was a street fighter who had some boxing, and I, I just, you know, I had, I had, I had won a lot of street fights, but. When I went up to Rodrigo's, I saw this Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and like every other tough guy out there, I just thought, well, as soon as I get in there, he's never yeah. going to be able to crap to me. And I remember, like, Rodrigo, I don't know whether it was the first guy I rolled with or or what, what second or third or whatever, but I, I, got, I think I was 23 at the time, and he put me to roll with, like, this 17-year-old kid. And the 17 year old kid had a white belt on and stuff. And in my head, I was just like, oh, I'm a smash this kid. And I started rolling with him. And the next thing you know, I'm caught in an arm bar. And I, I like had to tap. And I mean, I just drove home crying that day. <laughs> I was like, I am not who I thought I was. You know, and, <laughs> you know so, I just uh, lived in that gym, you know, after that. So the promoter at that time, was that Brian McBride? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Brian Madden. Brian, uh, Brian Madden. Ma oh, yeah. No, no. Brian, okay, Brian Madden, Madden was a kid I fought the first first fight, but Brian Madden. Right. I, I apologize. So Brian Madden was a promoter. I thought it was Ryan McBride on your first one. I, I'm probably okay. I think they got it wrong. You know, I confused I, it. Right. So so Brian Madden was this his first like event that he ever promoted? Uh yeah, that was the very first SFC that he had done. And, uh, you know, it was funny because Brian Madden, he was like one of the uh, original killer bees from the world wrestling federation. Yes. Or whatever. When they were a three, uh, like a, a three person tag team. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and I had known him because back in when UFC had started, my dad and I, I would invite all my friends over and, you know, we'd just make a big deal every time the UFC was on. So one of my friends who was a real good wrestler, uh, Mark Botindri, I guess he knew Brian and he told Brian, Hey, come on over watching the fight. So that's how I met Brian. And I remember like on day one, we were sitting in my dad's living room watching this. Brian's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to set it up. And I was like, cool, man, I'll fight for you. Let me know. And sure enough, you know, he, he set it all up and uh, you know, the rest of history. Well, now, let me, let me ask you a question. Like, I remember Brian Madden. I remember he had a couple of core guys like Jermaine Andre, uh, you know, uh, Scott Ventimiglia, Joe Jeremy. Right. Like, those were his guys. Were you his guy or because – He took no, care of you, man. He he did take care of me, and uh, I, I was Rodrigo's guy. And, okay. you know, Brian started his own little fight, all Madden Dojo and all that. And Brian did. He, he tried a bunch of times to get me and uh, another guy, Mike Rogers – to come over to him, but he respected, you know, we, we knew what Rodrigo was teaching was just, you know, nobody else could teach at that time, you know, in our area. So we stayed there. Still Brian took care of you. He really did. Like, yeah. and I, that list of promoters that actually looked out for you was very short. It was not a very long list. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I mean, if, if you look at your record, like I, you've got to fight against Jake Shields on your record. We're not even going to address because I've got so much in between that. I mean, it's, to me, it's incredible. Just the murderers row in a time frame that you did it. So you start with an arm bar victory in 1998, and then your third and fourth fight are a tournament for the universal challenge championship. Yeah. That but, is but not wait, Brian wait, Madden. Let, let, let me ask for a, a quick minute. Do you remember the Madden shows? Describe a little bit of the Madden shows and like the, you know, because I remember a Madden show where like there was a knockout in the main event and they were worried about the main event guy that got knocked out and they're actually asking for a doctor over the live mic. So it was a little bit of the Wild West still in the 90s. Why, why don't you tell us to share a little bit of what you remember? Yeah, I, you know, I think you summed it up big time there with it uh, being a little There's bit a lot of, of beer drank. Yeah, there was a lot of beer, <laughs> but a good time. Uh, you know, there was there was some good fights. Uh, of course, there were some Mitch matches too. I guess that's, that's can be that can happen anywhere. But uh, all in all, uh, is you know, I you got to remember, I was always fighting on these shows, so I spent pretty much ninety percent of the time in the back room. I wasn't watching too <laughs> out there. You know, I was you know especially. <laughs> A guy like me who, you know, I, I, I was trying to fight and beat myself before I went out to fight and beat the uh, the opponent, you know. So uh, I didn't watch too much. I was just back there shadow boxing and pacing, you know. So the Universal Challenge Championship, whose event was that? That was uh, Rodrigo and Luciano de Silveira's. And okay. uh, that was, you want to talk about Wild West, that <laughs> was, uh, you know, in – in their gym, uh, they sold tickets. People kind of formed like a circle. It was like out of a movie. People sat and filmed a circle on the mats and stuff inside the gym. And then you, you know, uh, uh, met up with uh, your opponent and fought, you know. <laughs> so, okay, so you've you David, fights. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, David Beeson, you had an eight-minute fight with David Beeson and you advanced to the finals where you have a no contest against Greg James. Why was yeah. that about a no contest? Well, I ended up, uh, it, it was funny. Uh, Greg and I were teammates and we were both thrown into the thing and they, they did this, uh, you know, we, we both won our first fights. We met up. I had rolled with Greg a million times. I, I was always a better grappler than Greg. Uh, I was pretty sure everything was going to be fine uh, with the thing. Well, we went into it. We, touch hands, started fighting. Uh, we fought on the feet for a little bit. You know, I'm going back 25 years. I, I don't remember exactly. Under a minute. Yeah, some, somewhere in there, we fought on the feet through a couple punches, and I immediately shot in. I got the takedown. Well, they had drawn kind of a, a, a circle-type deal for us to stay in. Well, as I was driving on this takedown, uh, I guess we started to go out of bounds. Well, as we were going out of bounds, like maybe one uh, stepped out of bounds and he went ahead and he kind of hit me because he's still fighting. Well, yeah. once once I felt that punch, I figured, screw it, I'm going to finish this takedown. So I picked him up and I dropped him down on the mat. Well, when I dropped him on the mat, he landed on his shoulder and he said, you know, he started screaming, ah, my shoulder, my shoulder. So then Luciano came over and was like, 
you know, that's, can you fight? And he's like, no, my shoulder's hurting. And so they said, all right, that's it. No contest. So, so you know, first we think disqualified me. And I said, why am I getting disqualified? And he's like, well, you took him down out of bounds. I was like, well, watch the tape. He punched me. So they watched the tape and then they're like, okay, it's a no contest. <laughs> Was this a Pancras rules fight or an MMA, like a standard MMA fight? No, I think it was Pancras. Uh, okay. it, it was open hands on the, uh, on the feet and then everything else, uh, you know, was game on the ground or whatever. Which included kicks to the head. Yeah. It was um, weird. No punching to the face, but you can kick to the face. It was just... Yeah, it was it was silly. And back in those days, I didn't care. You know, it was just whatever, you know, it's a fight. Let's, let's, let's just go fight. Well, that was kind of the rules for like the Midwest at the time in order to skirt around the athletic commission. And, you know, it allowed you to actually have an event without going to jail. Um, so now your fifth fight is against a guy that's got 30 fights that we've had on this program already. And it's Jeremy Horn, Jeremy Horn. Yeah. Okay, so I think you and I had a conversation about this like 15 years ago where you said there was a little bit of a controversy in regards to this bout. Yeah, I, you know, I still got the video and like I, I just I don't really even care anymore. But, uh, you know, it, going into the fight, uh, Jeremy had just beat Frank or just lost to Frank Shamrock. And I remember, yeah, I'm, I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking, holy crap, and oh, is like, hey, look, what's he weigh? And they said, oh, he's like 217 pounds. Well, I was 189 pounds. So my coach was like, look, if this fight goes the distance, it's draw. And, you know, I was fine with that. That was fine. And Brian Madden told me, yeah, that's the deal. Looking back, you know, I don't know for sure, but maybe Brian just thought that Jeremy was going to submit me pretty easy because it was my – fifth fight and you know jeremy had just given frank everything that uh that he could handle and got caught in a leg lock at the very end so i i don't know what the story is that's just all speculation but brian told me and odorigo this fight will be a draw if it goes the distance well jeremy or yeah jeremy and i fought our i think we fought this was back when they had 10 rounds so we fought uh, 10 minute rounds uh, so we fought one 10 minute round, uh, right away, Brian grabbed the mic, said, let's do another. So we did another one. And then after that, and this was back before sanctioning. So Jeremy had a fight the next night. And, uh, so they were like, let's, let's do a five minute overtime. So we, we did a five minute overtime. Nobody finished anyone. And, and to be completely honest, uh, Jeremy had better positioning on me. He, you know, throughout, uh, uh, I think the first and the second, the third, uh, the third round, the overtime round. And I think I, I was doing pretty good on positioning and stuff. Uh, but he was, you know, that ended and he went to his corner and he was like, no, I got to fight tomorrow night. This is done. Let's go to the judges and his corner start bitching and stuff. And so Brian Madden comes into the ring, grabs the mic and is like this fight is a draw and then he hands the belt to Jeremy and you know so at that time I I didn't know what to think about it I was just like well whatever you know it is what it is you know Brian announced that that it's a draw so I figured all right that that should be enough and uh 
you know, I think it stayed on my record for like five or six years as a draw. And then I, I don't know whether it was Monty or somebody had it switched over uh, to a loss now. So, oh, God, man. Like, so, like Brian, Brian Madden also passed away. Yeah. Yeah. He died. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. It was, uh, he wasn't an extremely healthy guy. Um, and I, it was something to do with his lungs or something. I forget, but he had yeah. asthma. Oh, that real he was bad. a younger guy too. Yeah. He wasn't even yeah, 50. His forties. Uh, when he yeah, it's like 42. Yeah. The yeah. little I found on him, he was 42 and they, they were claiming it was a heart attack. Um, What's really interesting to me, like on your record, like when you kind of like look for little nerdy tidbits on it, is actually your seventh fight against Ben Harrison. One, you lost. Right. But two, it's a guy that's two and zero, oh, and his only wins are, or his both his wins are yourself, UFC vet, and Paul Rodriguez, Pank Race. Like Paul Rodriguez was a stud. So this right. guy's got two wins over incredibly game opponents, and then he never fights again. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 understandable. I mean, it's a it's a tough deal, and you know, I Miguel was there. He saw that fight with me and Ben. We had we had a real close fight, and I guess he uh, he edged me out and got the nod. But you know, it's it's you got to be a little insane to want to want to do that. You know, I mean, I I got punched in the head so many times, and while I was doing it, it, it didn't even phase me. I never cared, but. Like, you know, an hour after the fight, I'd just be like, why the hell am I doing this? You know, I was just <laughs> much pain and like, oh, like, correct. But yeah, that, uh, I, I remember, I, I get it. I but, remember the Harrison fight in that, you know, you, you were, uh, Harrison was a guy that was, as Mike pointed out, was a guy that had, had some upside if he had kept, kept with the sport. And you were already coming in with a reputation with the fight with Horn and, and stuff like that. So it was it was a sneaky fight on the undercard kind of thing. And uh, unfortunately for Steve, and this you know was gonna become a pattern for his career, is uh, you know, you start winding up being on the wrong end of decisions. It's just like, oh man, you know, a lot of those, you know, you could talk your way through that should have gone your way, too. I don't remember the details of this fight, but I do remember Ben was a house. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a really big guy. I, I, you know, that was back before the steroid testing, too. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I don't think in the end there was going to be much of that. But uh, yeah, you know, Steve, you, you were always in phenomenal shape. Every single time, like, that I saw you fight, and the first time I actually witnessed you fight was at the Ironheart Crown Tournament where – I think your your first fight was against Shoney Carter, where you win a split decision, uh-huh. and and then there's a guy that locally, man, he was a beast. He's also got a win over Keith Wisniewski. Was uh, Jason Glavis? Yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you you won that tournament. Like you and Shoney, I mean, both later going to the UFC. Did you expect him to be as tough as he was in that bout? Well, it's funny. Eric Moon ran that. And here I was. This is how hockey I was. Like I told you in the beginning of this that, you know, when I started out, I just had all this confidence and stuff. And uh, I, I remember seeing this Ironheart Crown tournament. And I remember getting Eric's number and calling him up. And I was saying, hey, I train under Rodrigo Baggi. Uh, You know, I, I whatever. I was three and 
two and oh or three and oh or whatever and i said uh i want to uh i want to fight in your tournament but i see shoney carter's in this and he said yeah and i said well i want shoney first and that's the way my mind worked uh, to me i had never heard of jason glavis i didn't know anything about him but i had heard of shoney and my in my mind i was like if i can fight choney and beat choney first i'll win this thing you know and so and that was kind of the mind mindset that i had and uh, it worked out well for me uh, that night so yeah what did you get paid for that bout do you remember five, five bucks two fights you know That's i think nuts i finished up fighting choney i think 30 minutes later i was in the uh, ring with glavis <laughs> and choney and i had went to overtime and I think Glavis had finished uh, his guy in the first round. So, now, was, uh, uh, Mike, help help me help me through this if I if I get this wrong here, but Steve. So, at that time, you you like you said you got you know five your your five or six fights, you got all the confidence in the world and stuff. But Shoney is a dude that maybe already had fifty fights back then. You know, yes, because you know he was a club fighter and he had a whole bunch of, did, were you aware of his Chicago reputation as yeah. a St. Louis guy? Yeah, actually, uh, whenever I saw that they had this Ironheart crown and I can't remember again, it's, you know, over two decades ago, I can't remember <laughs> exactly how it all went down, but I just remember knowing either I knew Shoney at the time or somebody at the gym was brought a tape in and was showing me, this Shoney guy and I was like well I, I want in this and I want that guy first and that's I just remember calling Eric and telling him hey I want Shoney Carter first and he's like no problem we'll do so, it so was, a little yeah a little side note to this so there was a club downtown Chicago called the Tropicana and Shoney at the time was running a lot of security like a lot of door security and stuff like that and he was uh -huh. You know, uh, a junior college All-American wrestler with like a, a Shidekan background. And he was the house fighter. And every weekend, he might fight two or three times. And if you beat Shoney at the Tropicana, you probably would have got about two grand. Like you, you should have came and fought him at the Tropicana is what I'm trying to say. I didn't know, you know, I yeah, here I was just uh, this, this kid from St. Louis and I kind of got I stumbled into this MMA and, and, and my biggest problem is that when I had a couple opportunities to sign with good managers, I didn't, you know, and I think uh, I, I always sit and, and say that if I would have signed with a Monty Cox, if I would have signed with a Sven Bean or, or somebody like that, I, I think I would have went a lot further because uh, unfortunately, Miguel knew my dad. I love my dad. He was a great guy. Wasn't the your best guy used to come to your fight. Like he was, he was your corner man for many of your early he, fights. He, he always came to my fights, but you know, my dad was always like, you know, Hey, you got King Kong to fight my boy. My boy will beat King Kong. And then I'd be like, yeah, you're right, dad. And you know, I mean, now down the line, uh, you know, that's, that's not the way to groom and bring a fighter up. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was very but, proud of you. Steve yeah. was, was the number one, you know, and, and you look back on it and, you know, life has so many twists and turns, but really was the number one thing that held you from signing with Monty or, or, or one of the other name managers? Was it your circumstances at home with your mom that you weren't going to be able to provide that and, and you kind of stuck with that? Or, or well, how did that it, play? 
it was two things. One, my dad was telling me, Hey, I can do this. You know, we'll, we'll get you set. And two, I, I also knew that I would have to leave the state of Missouri and I couldn't do that. You know, I mean, that was, uh, uh, I, I knew my, my dad was not a healthy guy. You know, uh, he, like I said, he, I, I'm not kidding when I say before he finally died of a heart attack, he probably was in and out of that hospital 15 times from heart attacks and congestive heart failure. And, you know, so that was, you know, the whole time I'm trying to train and trying to work for myself, you know, I'm taking care of him and my mom too. And it was, it was just, uh, it, it was just bad times, you know, and of course, it ain't fair, man. And it just, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. it was terrible times. And especially, you know, now both my parents are gone and just, you know, obviously there's lots of fights and stuff that, that happen when, you know, looking back, and just thinking about all that stuff, it's like, oh God! Smartest thing I could have done was was got her into a home and just went and chased my dream. But uh, you know, it, it is. It, nah, so, you know? so Steve, like you mentioned, Jeremy Horn, like you know, you had a you know under ten fights. You know, he's on his probably his fiftieth at the time, his thirtieth recorded. Your tenth fight is against another guy that's got a ton of fights, and that's Shannon Rich. He had 25 fights at the time. Was there any intimidation on your end when you had these guys with huge records? Yeah, and Shoney, too. Don't forget Shoney. Yeah, Shoney as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, yeah, you know, I mean, in a sense, I, 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 there is not one time, whether it's been a street fight or a professional fight, I have not been nervous. And like I said, I have terrible anxiety. And one, one of the reasons – you know, it's funny because I going back to the street fighting, I would get praised for beating somebody up when the truth of the matter was when somebody would get in my face and start speaking all this stuff, I'd be like, holy shit. You know, I'd have that feeling running through me and like, what am I going to do? I can barely even talk right now. So, it's, well, I'm just going to hit him. And once I just start doing that and then the fight was over and everybody's running up to me, it's like, well, that's the way to go, you know? And so from that, <laughs> I, I went into, uh, to, to the professional aspect of it too. And it didn't matter to me at the time. Like I said, I was young, I was cocky and, and I just saw it. I don't care how many fights you would have because I, you know, again, uh, street fights, I had had 50 or more, you know, at the time I'd even started fighting. So I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't worried, you know, the fact that he was professional, it didn't bother me because I, I, in my mind, I had felt like I'm training and wrestling and boxing with professionals all the time, you know? Okay. So even Jeremy Horn, no intimidation whatsoever. That, that in itself just speaks volumes of your character. Like that's, that's uh, insane. Well, and, and I can tell you from being around, around them, because they didn't fight on my show, but I can tell you from being around there that it, Steve is absolutely right that he would uh, he would it would be exactly like him to be looking for that fight. Right, right. Now, and I'll, I'll take Horn. I'll take Horn. You know, I, I could see him saying that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So that was, it, it was uh, you know it was I always wanted the challenge. You know, I mean it. Uh, uh, to me, there was there was no honor in in beating up some newcomer. You know, if 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 there was a guy who was a stud and I was expected to lose all the honor was coming my way. So that, that's, 
that's was my thought process at the time, you know? Okay. So, Miguel, look how these politics kind of play out in MMA. He fights Horn in a really close, you know, fight. Monty Coxton has him on his 12th fight in Extreme Challenge fight Jason Black, who at the time was arguably top 10 in the world at the weight class. Yeah, you know, I, I, if I had a guess, you know, somewhere in between there, Horn, Horn tells Monty Berger's pretty good. Steve said he, you know, maybe had an opportunity with Monty. Maybe right around there, they had that conversation. I'm just speculating here. Yeah, but no then, one would fight Jason Black either. Yeah, M- Monty says, Monty says, hey, Steve, you know, maybe you need a manager. Maybe I'll sign you. Steve says, I can't. I got, you know, other things going on. Rodrigo, my dad, my my circumstances. All right, we'll get you to fight Jason Black. And then, you, you know, what you do is you take a, a soldier like Steve and you use him as a promoter and you put him in with your frontline guys, especially after he turned down maybe being managed by you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah and and you know the whole thing uh came again through brian madden brian madden i guess had talked to monty and brian had told me you know hey i can get you set up with monty and i just i i went ahead and i just said no i'm just gonna stay on my own you know i'll be fine so so jason now- black i mean you are aware that he was incredibly difficult to match and you know this is your your 12th recorded fight and already we've talked about more history with you than probably about 70 percent of the people making their ufc debuts <laughs> uh that's awesome i, I, I love hearing it <laughs> and it's the truth so jason black miguel he loses a close split decision in jason black's like i guess home state home field um but and that itself, I mean, did, did you think you won that fight? You know, here's here's the thing. Uh, at that time, I remember bitching 100% and saying that I should have won the fight. You know, I had submission attempts. Uh, I, I had the better hands. Uh, he had the takedown and would just kind of lay on me uh, until I'd wiggle out and go for a submission or, or, or whatever, get back up. But uh, I don't. I don't know 100%. I, I know at the time, you know, unfortunately, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most ashamed of is I, I wasn't able to accept the loss real well. So, you know, I, I never liked that. Uh, it, after I, you know, after I think about it, I was like, oh, man, you know, maybe I should have just let it go. No big deal, you know. But uh, uh, I, I'd have to rewatch the fight and and see how it went. But I do remember – saying that I felt I won the fight, you know? Okay. Well, what I know is that Jason has got kind of the Antonio McKees or the Jake Shields going on. He's just a guy that lays on top of you and gets position. Uh, right. Not a lot of damage. And if you're working your butt off on the offense, I, I honestly could see how, you know, somebody like yourself might be a little upset, which is why well, it's on my sheet. Let me ask you, because, I mean, the, th- the fact is, is, Black was also bigger and stronger than you. He was probably the monster a wrestler. Yeah, a, yeah, a guy who cut down, you know, a lot of weight and stuff like that. I'm, I'm speculating, but uh, um, 
Did you look at that fight as 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 a fight that if you beat him, you get you know you get a a, a move into like your know, Manny's camp and stuff because he was you know along with Hughes and those guys a, a win over Jason Black. Were you looking at it that way, or were you just taking paydays? I for when when I when I fought that fight, my whole goal was to make it to the UFC. I wasn't thinking about signing with Manny. I wasn't thinking about Manny being interested in me. I just figured I'm going to make it to the UFC and whoever they put in front of me, I'm going to beat. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the way I, I went into every fight, you know? Yeah. So yeah, let me real fast. One more zinger. This I'm, I'm black here a little bit. Yeah, you, you know, Berger also always was a good looking kid. And sometimes he comes out of the fight with his face all messed up. Did black mess you up, up your face? Or was it a lay and pray? And you look just fine afterwards. I think I look just fine. I'm sure, <laughs> sure I, I, I might have had a, a little something or whatever, but I don't remember black ever uh, 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 doing any damage to me during that fight. You know, that's a long ride home too, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're gritting your teeth the whole way, you know? Right, right. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So your 13th fight, your recorded fight, uh-huh. is uh, if there was like an independent scene of a Gotti Ward type bout, it was on the hook and shoot, and it's like that mad genius of Jeff Osborne. And, you know, he, he saw how you fought Ben Harrison – so what does he do? He matches you against a real tough local guy named Aaron Riley. Sure. Were you were you aware of how tough that fight was going to be when you went into it? Uh, you know, here I at the time it was funny. Uh, they had I don't know if you remember this, Miguel. They had like the underground forum or something. Yeah, yeah. On that deal. Well, so I, I can remember like logging into that, and I remember everybody saying, "Look, Aaron's got." Uh, uh, the most knockouts at the time in, in MMA and uh, Aaron's going to knock Berger out. And, uh, and, and I remember just being so upset about that. And I remember getting <laughs> being like, look, he's not going to knock me out. I'm going to knock him out. And then <laughs> arguing with these people on this thing. And then I remember my coach and my teammates saying, just grapple him, get him down, take him down. And that whole fight, I stood up and, and went against everything my corner was telling me and everything my coach had told me. And I, I you know, was just so sure I was going to knock him out. And I think uh, I ended up tasting the canvas uh, in the second round, you know. Yeah. But I ended up uh, getting up from it. But, but uh, yeah, well, yeah it's a hard punch. Well, the one thing that stands out to me, there's, well, there's actually a couple things in that fight. Uh, the first, you were three pounds underweight. Yeah. Was that intentional? Uh, I, I, again, I was just, uh, I was so, you know, Rodrigo was phenomenal at jujitsu and what to do with jujitsu, but he really didn't know too much uh, MMA wise. And he didn't, you know, I don't think he had ever really cut weight for jujitsu matches or any of that stuff. So you got to understand, like I was coming in with basically just what my teammates who had, who had wrestled and stuff, were telling me what to do. And, uh, you know, obviously with the anxiety and stuff, I would uh, uh, really go overboard because I didn't want to miss weight, you know. So uh, that, that, was, that wasn't the only time I weighed in underweight. There was a couple of times where I did that. One of the funniest was the very first time I fought in the UFC with Tony D'Souza. 
uh, I guess in that day, it was same day weigh in, same day fight. And I got up at like five in the morning or four in the morning. It was really early because weigh-ins weren't until seven or eight, I forget. And I go downstairs and I see the scale set up in the room that we're supposed to meet in. And I see like Kevin Randleman just going nuts. God damn it. I can't believe it. And he's yelling and, and pissed off and the whole bit. And so I go and I step on the scale and it says I'm like five or six pounds over. And I was like, what the fuck? I had just the night before I had just weighed in right on weight and I figured sleep and I'd wake up a pound, you know, under. And I was like, I can't believe this. He's like, come on, let's go. So he and me, him, uh, Mike Rogers and Odrigo go jog into the sauna and me and Randleman uh, strip down naked, get in the sauna and we're in there shadow boxing and, you know, just trying to stay in the sauna and, you know, Randleman, uh, at one point I, I was just already so dehydrated from cutting weight the night before. Uh, I was like, I'm done, man. I'm going out. And I just remember Randleman just grabbing me. And he's like, no, you ain't. And he just pushed my shoulders down. And I just sat right down on the thing. I was yep, like, well, yep, you were not. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> let I, me I, ask you. Uh, so before you get to the UFC, because you mentioned that the, the two's a fight and that, but before you got to the UFC, like you've been in there with Horn, you've been in there with the, the frontline guys for a lot of promotions and stuff. You knew you were pretty good. You know, you had to know that you were, you were, you, you, you deserved going there and stuff like that. But when you went that first time, did you already feel like, all right, Rodrigo, I got my jujitsu, but I, I'm missing a boxing coach. I'm missing a strength coach, a conditioning coach, uh, the nutrition. Wrestling. Like now, yeah, wrestling. Like now it's so multifaceted. Were you, right. when, when did that sink into you? When, when did you know you were going to use it, have that? as a disadvantage well you know you got to remember too like back then you know like even Rodrigo bought into jujitsu is the key you know jujitsu will do it and I was just kind of sold that bill of goods and I you know I totally believed it you know I thought that uh, my jujitsu would do and I knew I was tough I knew I could take a punch and I knew I wasn't bad with my hands you know I knew I could uh, uh, hang in there with a lot of people and I I always used to just say at some point uh, they're going to take me down or I'm going to take them down. And then, you know, that's where jujitsu will kick in. And, you know, it was just, again, I, I wasn't uh, managed properly. And, uh, you know, that was just really my fault, my arrogance, my confidence, my cockiness at the time for not, uh, not branching out. You know, well, well, wait, wait, we're fast forward. We're getting way ahead. So I, I, I'm going to have to rewind a little bit. So the most surprising thing about the Aaron Riley fight um, was that four days later, you fight future UFC veteran Brian Garrity in a hometown bout. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was on uh, uh, and Brian. And you won. Yeah. Yeah, so I got him. Did, did you – I mean, you just got all banged up. The local promoter is Brian Madden. He's probably furious that you're taking fights within like 30 days of about. Right. And he lines you up with a, a guy that's absolutely a stud, and that's Brian Garrity. Right, right. How banged yeah. up were you going into that fight? Uh, you know, with the Aaron fight, the only thing that uh, was really hurting me was, you know, my 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 nose. And, you know, I, I 
I still had black eyes. You know, after Aaron and I hit each other so much, the next day I woke up looking like a raccoon with the two black eyes, and obviously my nose was broke. But uh, one thing about fighting is, you know, it, it may hurt the very first time you get punched with a broken nose, but but that uh, adrenaline is so high from the anxiety. Like I don't, I don't feel a lot. You know, like when I'm in there, when I. You know, I'd get hit and I knew I got hit, but it wasn't uh, my adrenaline was running so, so high at that point. It was like that's like I was saying earlier, you know, an hour later, I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's it's killing me. Why do I do this? But but while I was in there, you know, I didn't even feel it. I think shortly after that, Brian actually passed away. Yeah, that that was your last time fighting for him. I was supposed to fight Yves Edwards, and I think uh, two days, two or three days before the fight is when Brian died, and we still weren't sure if it was going or not, but but Brian had me set up to fight Yves, and uh, we were all set for that, and then all of a sudden I got the, the news that Brian died, and I called Jermaine Andre. And I said, hey, did you hear the news? Because Jermaine was, I, I was close with Brian, but Jermaine was really, really close with him. They were real tight. And uh, he said, no, what? And I, I told him, and I could just hear the phone wow. And, you know, I mean, and, and that, was, that was that, you know. And so then I was like, well, what's going to happen? And, you know, they canceled the show pretty quick. And, again, it's, it's 20 years ago, so I don't remember all the details. But, yeah, well, it was kind of was a sad deal there was kind of a quick turnaround in regards to the promotions in that area and randy greenman came in and kind of filled you know those were big shoes to fill obviously yeah. i mean just look at the totality of the fights that you've had in your hometown and sure. um randy greenman steps in with reality submission fighting right uh, would you mind expanding a little bit on your thoughts and feelings about randy greenman because this is another tragic story it's almost like there's a curse on the promoters from that area like i I would highly suggest no one you know promote events in collinsville and belleville based on you know the totality of these two promoters yeah it's uh it was a sad deal but uh you know getting into i knew randy randy and i were good friends and uh you know he he would hire me all the time to personal train him and randy loved the sport and and you know was a uh, very very good at everything that he did with the sport but Randy also he played on the other side of the law and you know when you do stuff like that it catches up to you you know again uh where I mentioned my arrogance and my cockiness I'm just I, I'm surprised I'm still alive because uh hey, I used to hang out with Randy all the time he'd come pick me up uh, I rented a house from him uh you know, we'd, we'd go out to eat all the time. And, and the kid who was killed with him, I guess, was a friend of his that he had met up at a bar. And then they stopped by uh, the, the. Yeah, wrong the place. Wrong time, kind of yeah, right, right. And they both ended up dead with their heads cut off, you know. And I just, I would sit there and think, damn, you know, I mean, tough as you are, it doesn't matter. They put a pull a gun and you're done, you know, so. So, but, do you know a little bit? I mean, I everyone that was involved in that's in prison right now. Right. Um, would you mind if I expand on it? Or w- sure. Would you be okay? So from what I gather, 
um, Randy was into the clubs and stuff like that of, right. you know, Southern Illinois and hung out with a bunch of bikers because Randy had like a, a bigger than life type personality. And if there's one thing that I know that guy loved, it was the catch wrestling styles of judo Gene LaBelle that highest stand style. Yeah. He would lose his mind over. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Met up with a bunch of bikers. One of the head guys, from what I gather, um, went to jail federally, and he never told on anybody. He just ate it, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of honor in that. Right. And uh, pretty much gave the business to Randy and said, hey, when I come out, you know, things it's are going to – Yeah, it's mine again. Am I, am I off on any of this so far? No, this is what I've heard, too. So, so far, yeah, you're 100% is what I've heard. So this guy gets out of jail after six or seven years. And federal time, there's usually, it's one of those, it's pretty hard to get extended sentences when you plead guilty immediately. Like if you string them along and treat it like a local case, that's when you get like Rod Blagojevich just slammed for big time. But if you just go in there and say, hey, man, I did it. Let me take my time. They, they give you actually, they're, they're very reasonable with their sentences. And this guy falls into that category. He gets out of jail. Him and Randy have a discussion. At this time, Randy's he's he's one of those guys that's like showing the million dollar tagline around. Like, yeah, I'm thinking about buying this club for a million dollars. I'm thinking about doing buying a yacht for a million dollars. He loved throwing that million dollar tagline around because sure. in essence, what Miguel, what, what he was doing is he'd have these incredible shows. In Belleville, Illinois, he had Carol Parisian fight Sean Shirk twice. He had Monville Gambarian on there. He's got Steve Berger on there. Uh, Chris Lytle, Pete Spratt. Like the, the fights that this guy was doing were UFC quality cards, some of the fights that were on I, there. I, I was going to say, I, I don't know. I didn't run across Randy Greenman. I did know Madden. Um, but if I had to compare them, Madden was a more typical promoter in that his interest started with the show, the money, and then also to promote his guys, Jerry Miller, Ventimiglia, Jermaine Andre, CJ Fernandez. Like, especially when Jermaine was, uh, you know, showing some promise, like that was his guy. And that, that was the show. Whereas Randy did put together fanboy fights. Like money wasn't really the object. No, he, he no. just did it out of love. Kind of more like me kind of thing. That's exactly right. He would pack a venue and you'd be like, oh man, he did really good today. And then you'd look at the card and you go, no way, man, he lost money. So what he would do is he would pretty much, I'm not going to say wash because that, that would, there's no way he was washing money to that event. Essentially what he was doing is that was his, like instead of going to Vegas and wasting a bunch of money at the craps tables, he flew in all of his favorite fighters to, to Southern Illinois. So when right. this guy gets out of prison, Miguel, they have a conversation where the guy goes, okay, well, it's mine again. And Randy goes, well, the business was this big when he gave it to me. And now it's like that big. Um, you know, we're going to have to talk about this. Like the, the deal is yeah. absolutely going to change. And um, that's a hundred percent right. Randy had, uh, you know, obviously he took it at one point and I forget what the years were, but over those years, he had made a lot of other connections. He had really brought it up and all that and uh then i guess when this guy came back hey this was the deal they had a uh a falling out over it but randy 
uh, funny thing is this was like Randy's best friend. The guy was like a, uh, the best man at, at, or Randy was the best man at this guy's wedding, you know? And, and so it's just funny the way it worked out, but I guess at some point, you know, it got to be where the guy was like, okay, that's fine. That's cool. Well, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know what happened and, uh, you know, rough deal. I'm personally, I'm hoping to check out with my head still attached. I mean, just, <laughs> all your the yeah. same, holes, same holes too. You and, you and me both brother. <laughs> so, so one real quick caveat to that story. Miguel, guess where his connection was from? Who? Who's that? Randy's. What country? Don't know. Costa Rica. Yeah. Oh, really? Was it Costa Rica? <laughs> Miguel lives in Costa Rica right now, Steve. Yeah, Costa Rica. That's it. Uh, I know Miguel loves Costa Rica. I was down here with him. Was, so, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we got to bring Steve down for one of those, but we're getting if we get out of order here, Mike gets upset. So, hold on, right? It is. <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm like super OCD, Steve. It's that no, he's he's absolutely correct. So, a reality submission fighting the first one you fought in uh, another tournament where you fought Riley McGeehan, where you armbarred in the first round. Uh-huh. And then in the finals, on the opposite side of the tournament, was a rematch against Shoney Carter, and you made quick work of him. Is you and Shoney, is it just one of those things where you just had his number? Well, you know, going back to that again, uh, it, it just, at at my best, I, I don't believe there wasn't anybody in the world I could have beaten. And, and you know, I, I was uh, in such good shape and I remember being so angry because Shoney was such a, a more recognized and better fighter than me. And when I beat him in that iron heart, I thought, all right, yeah. I'm going to my props. And I remember again, that underground forum and all that stuff, people saying, Oh, that was just a fluke. Shoney wasn't on his game and blah, blah, blah. And I just remember being so ticked off and then uh, Randy had set that up and the original guy I was supposed to fight was Brian Gassaway, Shoney's student. Uh, and that he was going to be in one side with uh, that Riley guy and uh, Brian Gassaway and me and somebody else. Maybe it was Joe Merritt. I, I can't remember. But anyways, uh, I like a week before uh, Randy calls me up and says, hey, uh, Gasaway's out. He got injured and Shoney's in. Well, you couldn't have told me anything different other than Shoney had that planned. And, and so I was all burned up. And I remember I was like, oh, he's he's trying to, you know, it, it just cooking all these conspiracy theories up in my head. I'm sure it was probably 100% <laughs> true that Brian got hurt and Shoney's like, well, I'll take another shot at Steve. But I just remember fuming and when I was there that night, I can just remember being like, oh, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I just can't wait to, to put my hands on him. And so when that happened, uh, you know, I just came out and just everything just played, uh, played into my, my way that night. Uh, I think I ended up showing he went for one of his spinning back fists. And I think I had stepped in. And when he went the back way, I caught him with a real good right hand that as soon as I landed, that I knew I'd rocked him and, from that point on, I obviously I'd rocked him because I was able to get the choke pretty easily. And so Shoney's, Shoney's personality is like bigger than life. And Without, now, so now he's in your hometown eating at all the local restaurants, stopping at the local gas stations. He's doing the whole Shoney Carter thing. 
that must have like elevated just like your your want to get your hands around this guy even more. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And what what's so funny is I've talked to Shoney so many times after that, and I get I still talk to him to this day. Every once in a while, I'll comment on his Facebook or something, and and I get along good with him and 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 the whole bit and. The funny thing is, is he he could have he's such a talented fighter. He could have easily caught me that night. It just was one of those deals that it, it played out in, in my hand that way, you know. But uh, but yeah, you know, absolutely. At the time, uh, you know, Shoney was a guy to beat, and I was uh, I, I was ready to do it, you know. Yeah. You know, I I just want to take a pause here because for the fans of the show, fans that know it. Chris isn't even here, and we did not prep Steve. Mike, you know, we didn't say anything to him, but when you're talking about guys that get to the highest level, guys that are just at that world-class stuff, you just repeated exactly what Chris is a constant theme that Chris always says. It's like, when I'm at the top of my game, I don't think there's anybody that can beat me. And that is the mindset you have to have. It's unbelievable the tricks and, and the game you play to keep that mindset, you know what I mean? So Absolutely. that very, very reinforcing to have you say that without Chris here. So it's obvious that, you know, it's a theme with certain types of guys. Yeah. 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 Chris always says like, you got to be delusional in order to be a good fighter. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> I agree. You, uh, you, you can't, you know, it's, 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 you're walking a thin line on, making sure you don't get yourself hurt and then just being like, I don't give a shit, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a dangerous thin line. You, you, you've always got to pay attention while you're in there, you know? So Miguel came up with a concept called the 50 fight club. And obviously, you know, when you look at the totality of your record, it's just under 50 fights, but clearly there's, there's fights missing. So you've probably far surpassed it. And one of kind of like the telltale signs of somebody that is a 50 fight club member is here. You have a war with Aaron Riley. Four days later, you fight Brian Garrity. And this kind of falls into that situation, too, because you fight, you know, a four man tournament with, with with good guys in it. And one month later, you're sitting in Evansville, Indiana again with a guy that they flew in from Japan, uh, Jutaro Nakao. Right. And, and let, let me preface this. This was my fight, too. Yes. Nakao was a wall. That <laughs> that dude was... That dude was Shudo. We had started to have a relationship with Shudo. Shudo had sent over several of their fighters uh, because of money and stuff. We were getting good guys, but guys also who were like, yeah, I'll do the trip and you know fight for free or for very little money and stuff. So we got... The undercard filled. The cow was them sending a frontline main event guy. And, you know, you need a real guy to put in there with him. And there was Steve. He, uh, he had just tapped out Militich, uh, like, I think, a month before our fight or something. That's he had him nuts. Triangle. Yeah. While Militich was champion of the UFC. So, right. or, or, you know, right around, you know, it wasn't like Militich was burned. <laughs> right. So, do you remember that fight? Because, sure, I do. I Dude, do. Why was it a draw? I think I won that fight. Uh, I think there was two Japanese judges, one American. The American gave it to me. The two Japanese gave it a, a, a draw, if I remember correctly. Or um, it was a majority draw. But you know, it, it is what it is. Again, I was real hesitant because I was very nervous. 
I had not ever been submitted at that point. And, you know, Nakao caught a, a Militich and I can even remember being on him and feeling him going for the triangle. And he was just real slick with the way he was trying to maneuver my arms and, and get that triangle and stuff. And, uh, uh, I, I, you know, again, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty. And looking back, I'm like, man, I was hesitant. I played it too careful. You know, I, I should have, uh, I think I was a lot better with my hands than he was. And I think if I would have been more aggressive, uh, on, on my feet, I would have, the fight would have been uh, a knockout for me, you know, but, uh, but it is what it is. It's all speculation. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was a little too hesitant while I was on my feet with him. Well, the cool thing, too, if I remember, Shudo at least took you to Japan for a fight later, right? Yeah. Yeah. I fought uh, Seichi Akimoto. Uh, okay. Right and and yeah. I, I, I remember Akimoto. I, I stuck Akimoto in there with Eddie Alvarez later. So, yeah, I know Akimoto pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's he's a pro, but he's also he's not in the cow. So they gave right. you they they I think they recognize what you've done with the cow to bring you over for that fight. I wish they'd had you back more. Yeah, they never brought me back. I beat Akimoto, and uh, they they never brought me back. Never called me. So I don't know what the deal was with that. But. So seven days after the uh, the turn or the the hook and shoot fight, you fight on uh, Danger Zone. You fight Rich Clemente, who's from New Orleans. So they had they they have a guy from St. Louis fight a guy from New Orleans in Michigan. Right. Yeah. I, uh, it was a, a great trip. Me and three of my buddies borrowed my dad's Cadillac, and we drove up to uh, uh, Michigan there, and and uh, you know we just had a blast the entire time. And then I went and fought and uh, I ended up arm barring Clemente and uh, we just had a blast uh, the rest of the time. That was, that was one of the really fun ones that I, I remember doing, you know? So how was it working with Dan Severn as a promoter? Uh, again, I don't remember too much. Who was the gal that uh, was with him? Uh, Becky or something? Uh, Becky Levi, Becky Levi. I I talked to her more than I did Severn, but I don't remember a ton. I got to plug my phone in, guys. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, um, you know, unfortunately, Steve, I got a bunch more questions. Yeah, no worries. Well, I so got I, I would suggest I got a plug here. Let me see if this will. There we go. It flipped you around. Okay. All right. All right. So. You fight Rich Clemente, you get an arm bar, and, dude, this is like your 17th fight. Like, you you have fought just studs up until this point, and that even includes, like, your hometown. Um, your 18th fight, you fight Carl Schmidt in RSF 2. Yeah. You know, re reality submission fighting 2. Um, were you a big ticket seller locally? I, you know, I wouldn't say I was huge, but I was decent. You know, I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, I would easily get a hundred people to come watch me, you know, I mean, that, that I would sell, you know, I'd sell a hundred or, or maybe even, you know, 10 or 20 more at whatever. But, uh, but I think, uh, a lot of people knew me too. And even people that I wasn't selling to came, uh, because those, those shows were packed, you know, I mean, I, what Randy had, 
I want to say at a thousand people, maybe maybe more at those shows. I even say more than that. I, I yeah. never missed one of his shows. I I, I made the drive every time. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you too. The thing is, is uh, you know that's a murderer's row, man. You know that really is because Clementi, he's a you know he's a guy who has you know a ton of fights and made the UFC and and a pro all the way. I love Rich Clemente, you know? Carl Schmidt is a guy that people don't, won't even remember Carl Schmidt. But Carl Schmidt was a big freaking ex-Marine mother effer that yeah. was tough as hell, you know? Good Ross. Yeah, he, yeah. He beat up Henry. Uh, and that's how man I knew Morris. about him. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. That's how I knew about him. So, man, that's a, you know, you nobody... Except for nerds like me and Mike give you credit for you know, fighting Carl Schmidt. But, man, that's, you know, that's crazy. That's a murderer's row of guys. Yeah, and it's like they're one right after another after another. And, you know, you don't see any, like, cut stoppages in, like, in his career up until that point. And it's like at some point your body's got to give up. Like you're, you're not allowing yourself to really rest much. Um, are you training the way you used to up until this point? Or are you just kind of fighting and, and doing road work? I'll tell you what, I spent a lot of those days, all I would do, and I credit a lot of how just mental toughness, I would roof all day. And my old roofing boss, Dan Hennis was his name. He Toughest guy I, I ever met in my life. I don't mean the toughest fighter. I just mean a guy. Yeah, just just could no amount of pain was going to stop him. No, uh, you know, no, I'm tired. None of that. You know, he just he, he was just hardcore. And I learned a lot from from watching Dan and being with Dan. But but back in those days, I would roof all day and then, you know, go home, get a shower straight to the gym. And then I'd grapple and I would grapple box with whoever would stick around after practice the grapple box and then I'd go fight, you know, and that was, that was uh, the way I got myself prepared. And, and, you know, that combination, you know, it may not be uh, an ideal combination, but boy, I'm telling you when you've been out in that hot sun all day and you're throwing around uh, 90 pound bags of shingles and, and, and roofing and uncomfortable positions on roofs all day. And then you go up and you're wrestling tough you you get tough you know i mean it's it's uh it, it's it was a hell of a problem yeah, yeah and, then, and then you got and then you got the whole mental aspect of toughness of just dealing with the discipline of the house and you know sure. mom right. needs a shower mom needs a shot you know what i mean it's yeah. a, so that's that's impressive man uh, yeah, it's a lot of discipline uh, not a lot when, of sleep when yeah. i remember you uh, when i remember you coming up from the i remember you Rodrigo, you were Rodrigo Vladi blue belt when you started fighting. So you uh -huh. started fighting as a blue belt. Where, where's your belt? Like I'm asking sincerely. I don't. I didn't keep up. I was like, did you get your black belt? Talk about your belt progression stuff. No, I I never did. I ended up uh, about ten years after uh, training with Rodrigo, and Rodrigo did not give belts uh, easily. He was uh, of the opinion that you had to be 15, 20 years before you got a black belt. And so I was blue belt for like seven, seven or eight years under, under Rodrigo. And, uh, right when I, right whenever I was walking out to fight D'Souza, Rodrigo like slaps me in the stomach with something. And I looked down and it's my purple belt. I was like, Oh, cool. So, that you know, cool. I did that and, you know, I put that on 
went out, I fight and stuff. And I think like, I don't know, two years later, uh, there, there was just, you know, there's here, here's what I like. I basically say, I think, uh, Rodrigo handled me the wrong way and I left the wrong way. I just basically, okay. I ended up at that point in my life. I think I was, I had fought for the UFC and I lost and, and in my head, I was, what am I going to do now? I told you guys in the beginning, you know, I was really looking to take care of my parents. And at that point, one of the uh, uh, other fight promoters had already been asking me for like a year to come over and coach jujitsu at his place. And so, you know, when, when I was sitting there and I was thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, I just figured, screw it. You know, I'm going to, my, my, my dad was in my ear big time. You need to go and do your own deal. And I, I just went ahead and I went with it. So I left Rodrigo's, uh, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, even talking about it now, it's a rough deal because we were all so tight and, uh, you know, we all had the same tattoo on it. You knew all the, all those guys, Rodrigo and Mike and Todd Fox and Brian Guidry and Hal Goodman, all, you know, we were just all so tight and stuff. And so I just ended up, I left, I opened my own gym and I went from there. And of course, as soon as I did that, you know, I was blackballed from Rodrigo and I, I wasn't ever, you know, I wasn't in it for a belt. I didn't care. I tapped out plenty of black belts. Uh, you know, my, my whole career, I've been tapped by plenty of black belts, you know I mean? It was just one of those things I figured, screw it. I, the belt doesn't bother me. So I opened a no gi gym at that guy's deal. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And I, I never, I never did uh, go back and I just kind of had in my head, well, I'm not going to really accept the black belt unless it's from, uh, you know, my original coach Rodrigo or, or Hickson, you know, who's his coach. And mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, obviously we fell Shoot off. high, Steve, shoot high. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with who I uh, started with. I did go, uh, there's a, a gym up here. Uh, and, and when my, my school was kind of, you know, I was all a, a no-gi school and, you know, there's a gym up here with a guy that I was real good friends with, J.W. Wright. And so I called him, asked him if he could have one of his guys come down and teach uh, gi jiu-jitsu to my guys because I had been out of the gi for like 10 years at that point. And uh, he said, sure. And he said, come on up and roll here. So I put the gi on and I went up and rolled and he was, he was pretty impressed. He threw me a brown belt, but you know, like, like I said, the last, uh, uh, coach, uh, that of mine was, was Rodrigo. And, you know, last if, belt. If you guys had a conversation since you left. Uh, you know, we would see each other at fight shows. Sometimes our fighters would fight each other and, you know, we'd talk and everything, everything was friendly as far as, you know, talk, but it was all just small talk. You know, I think, uh, like I said, he, he was probably pissed because I, I just up and left. And, uh, uh, you know, he uh, I I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed. And he obviously probably had, had many complaints, too. So now are, are you and Mike Rogers? Are, are you guys on good paper now? Mike and I, uh, shit, that was my best friend from about eight years old all the way up to about 33 when I left the gym. But when I left the gym, Mike stayed with Rodrigo. And, uh, you know, I mean, so we, we split. I've talked to Mike maybe a couple times a year, you know, for ever since I've left, you know. So that was, 
that was that was another hard part of uh, the decision too you know it just this sport that i love cost me a lot of my friends which is kind of the sad part of it and i guess you know maybe uh looking back it's the way i handled stuff too you know i just uh i should have wanted to route well, well you know i mean we, we we can't get. I'm not I'm not the right person to judge, but I mean, you 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 get a black belt in life, my friend, because you know they, we, everything going on around there and stuff like that. It sounds to me too like you got to the UFC, you got there. I I, I don't think you cleared, you know, a thirty forty thousand dollar paycheck for a fight. If I'm gonna if I had a guess, you know what I mean. Nope. That nope. really would have that really would have helped, and you know. Right. When you talk about the level of family stuff you're looking at, man, it's hard to it's hard to when people maybe are trying to hold you back because of loyalty and stuff. So so man, don't 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 fret over it too much. You get a black belt in life. Let, yeah. let's, let's, let Mike, get, let's let Mike get us back on track here with the fight. Yeah, let's get yeah. There right. you go. Yeah. Yeah. So your UFC debut is UFC 31. I know you touched on it a little bit. My question to you in regards to UFC, your UFC debut, is that your actual first plane ride? To a fight? No, he fought Aikido. Uh, I, you know, he didn't I fight in Japan yet. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think it might be. It, it might have been, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure. That brutal drive to Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like I'm looking at your record, Steve, and I'm like, okay, driving distance, driving distance, driving distance. Finally, something that's not, and it's like. It might that might be your first plane ride to like an actual fight? I when did I? This was a funny story too. When did I fight uh, Nick Cardenas uh, from Tom Proctor's show? I and that may be one that's not on my record. I don't know, but uh, I didn't see it. I I fought I fought him, and Tom Proctor had called me and said, "Hey." I got you a plane ticket. I can't afford a corner man, but come on down. And I said, okay, no problem. So I flew, I flew down to Arizona, I think it was. And, uh, I end up, I get down there that day. They take me to the fight place and, uh, I, they're like, here, you can warm up here. And Cardenas was a wrestler from, for some school down there. So as I'm warming up, all his buddies are like, you're going to get your ass kicked. Our boy's going to kill you. You know, they're all in my face the whole time I'm sitting there to warm up. And, uh, you know, I was, we were the main event and I end up uh, going, I fight him. My arm barred him uh, sometime in the first round. Uh, Proctor takes me out for a steak, then drives me to the airport, puts me on the uh, plane that day. And I'm, I'm home uh, a few hours later in bed. <laughs> Guys, that's uh, Nick Cardenas, uh, February 2001. It was between Schmidt and D'Souza. So, yeah, okay. they bring yeah. You, that, you, you did him in 70 seconds, but that, that's probably a plane ticket. Hats off to Tom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was you know, there's like, there's like certain benchmarks that Miguel, I, and Chris all kind of go through with the 55 Club. Another one, you had to have at least gotten ripped off by one promoter. Like, if you haven't, you know, we're not honoring it. Like, you know, right. we're, we're going to subtract that, you know, one of your fights from your record. Have you been ripped off by a promoter? Yeah, uh, not not in the fact I got paid by every promoter. But there was several times when I had stitches or staples and I would go to the promoter and be like, hey, 
what do I do? And they're like, oh, just go to uh, this place and, and they'll get it taken care of. And I come home and I'd be like, oh, what the hell, man? I, you know, they, 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 uh, they're like, their insurance is no good. And so I, you know, I got a slew of hospital bills, you know, from, from that. <laughs> crazy so Miguel, from his UFC debut against Tony D'Souza, who was, highly touted at that time like he was a you know a hot prospect you know definitely obviously not an easy fight uh you go to osaka japan where you fight cj ikamoto which is what you and miguel had talked about afterward right uh, did who did you fly out there with uh jeff jeff osborne came as my corner man for for that one and uh, that was that was a real cool one, especially this is back when Anderson Silva was fighting 170 pounds. And I think uh, Anderson was fighting Hyota Sakurai that night. Jesus. I was fighting Seichi Akimoto. So me and Anderson were in the same locker room and, you know, I we were warming up together. You know, we were grappling around in the back, you know, so it's it's kind of cool to see afterwards how it uh, how it all played out. He must have learned a lot from that <laughs> yeah that's why I, I don't i don't i don't think the time he spent with me had anything to do with that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so from there now what happens is like once i, I kind of like tell everybody like if you really want to break through in a business whether it's on the administrative side or whether it's on the fight side you got to have a fight on your record where you've taken an airplane somewhere because People look through your record and where it's at, where it's at. And if you're just a local regional fighter, they don't look at the, your value as much as like somebody that's got a whole bunch of, you know, uh, like flights, you know, on their record. And that's what kind of happens with you. Like you go from the UFC to Japan, all the way up to California, where you fight Chris Brennan, the West Side Strangler. Um, you know, I watched the fight. Um, man, I was really cheering for you. Um <laughs> during that bout but you and Chris Brennan had like it appeared you guys had a really good relationship like it was friendly and Chris is one of those outspoken guys to where there was a mutual respect before you guys stepped in there with each other did you get that feeling as well uh no what's funny about that is again here's that underground forum and, and Chris and I were fine because I think we had both been in that tournament that Randy had done and uh he ended up winning his side because Sean Shirk after the Carl fight said look I, I'm not fighting so uh Chris basically got a bye to the finals on that and then I fought my two fights and I won and then they were like we're going to bring you guys back to fight for the finals well, that show came and went and Chris had pulled out on it and I ended up fighting Carl. And and then like I was I don't think there was any bad blood from us. But right about that t time, uh, that underground forum, I got on there and I, I just made some joke. I don't remember what it was. Uh, Chris had said something and I made some kind of joke on there and he really took it like I was being serious. And so he started motherfucking me. And so I, you know, whatever. And I, you know, so we were going back on that. And I think whenever we got to the thing, I really, to be honest with you, I wasn't taking him serious at all. I, I, uh, I, I didn't think I'd have any problems with him and, uh, you know, come to find out he was up there training in big bear and, uh, was, was really hitting it. And, 
man, that was a, that was a fight that I can just remember 30 or 40 seconds into it. I was breathing heavy and gassing and I'm like, Oh man, I, I should have, I should have worked a little harder because uh, he was very strong and very good at his, his wrestling, just getting in and getting down, you know? So, so, yeah, so was pretty good. We, we, we treated Brennan. It's funny. Brennan got to the Abu Dhabi's one year and you know, one of the things at the big tournament is everybody's sitting there and waiting for them to release the matchups. And I remember him coming to me afterwards and being like, his first round matchup, Marcelo Garcia. He was like, <laughs> he was like, you guys did it to me, huh? Yeah, yeah unfortunately, it had, somebody right. had to. <laughs> you know what? A little context behind the underground form at that time. So, so at that point, Chris Brennan kind of became like a legend on that forum because he would detail like he would he would write an incredible detail about all of his street fights. And yeah. it, it got to about 50 pages where he just, you know, smoked one untrained idiot after another. And it was kind of a bad look. Like, you know, you just walk around all day just trying to beat up people that are untrained. And right. it, it got to like. 800 pages of people going, you know what, dude, F you, you know, it was, it was pretty contentious. And Chris, you kind of jumped in there go, uh, like, because you're, we started this off. You like to street fight too. And um, it kind of took off from there. It was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. I, like, Hey, I was yeah. cheering for you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, and we, you know, after, after that deal, we, uh, we became, we're friends now. Anytime I see him, there's no, no bad blood, nothing like that. Well, he helped you up at the end of the first round, which kind of surprised me. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, he's not, I, a, he's not a bad, he's a good dude. No, uh, we, we didn't <laughs> there was how, was, that, was, that was on King of the Caves. So how, how yeah. was Terry and, and that whole, uh, Experience. <laughs> How was who? Terry, uh, Treble Cock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Terry, uh, I think Terry was disappointed in me. I think he was uh, uh, wanting me to come down and beat Chris for whatever reason. I think they had some uh, some beef. And yeah. uh, I, uh, I, Chris was their belt holder, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, was, I, at some for the belt. Yeah, at some point he got to the top of their pay scale and, you know, they weren't paying yeah. anymore and it's not worth, you know, if you're not getting raises. So, yeah, I, I was thinking, oh, he fought Brennan on King of the Cage. I was looking at it just now. But, yeah, Brennan left them kind of because of negotiations, basically. Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, like a side note, you mentioned Brennan in Abu Dhabi. I talked to him. It was 2005, California. I was there. And I talked to him afterward. And he's like, well, you know, I, 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 I learned a lot you know, against Marcelo because, you know, he was a very big personality. And um, he's like, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Like he, he was definitely humbled, but I think he walked in there humbled. And as Chris or, or as Steve, as, as you and I can obviously both know, just because you're really good in the cage doesn't mean it translates to the mat and vice versa. Right. Without a doubt. You know, people kind of like think it's just the cage. You know, these mat stars coming over to the cage, man. You get some of these MMA guys on that mat, they get smoked. They right. get smoked. Like, so, like, uh, yeah, it's a different sport. It's like I say, you know, it's boxing's a different sport than MMA too. You know, boxing's the best comparison for me. I I always say it's like, uh, you know, ballet dancing is boxing, and MMA is like break dancing. You know, it's like yeah, it's dancing. <laughs> two two different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Doubt. So so from there. 
I see you at the Hammond Civic Center. I think, I mean, I, obviously, you're not remembering me, but I certainly remember you. Um, I see you at the Hammond Civic Center uh, for the ultimate athlete, number one, uh, where you beat Pete Spratt. Another stud. And we're 23 fights in, and it's just like one after another after another. Like, you, you're – this is like a roadmap to, like, suicide. <laughs> well, my – my wife always says that uh, they've definitely damaged my brain because I, I'm <laughs> terrible to go to the grocery store with a list. I don't ever get the right stuff, you know. <laughs> well, you know, to be to be honest with you, you know, all joking aside, uh, if you had to put a number on it, how many concussions do you think you got, like throughout the whole fight game and stuff? God, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even count. I was I was so uh, so dumb and so uh you know i'll just i'll just sleep this off and be fine in the morning type deal and obviously i knew i knew i had a concussion so obviously i'd stay up for an hour and i'd be like oh i'm okay and then you know that, then it would be all right but yeah you have no idea uh i i was talking to somebody i don't remember who a while ago and they were saying they would love to do like a, a study on my brain uh just because they were doing fighter studies on brains and nothing ever came of it. But at the time he's like, Oh yeah, yours would be great. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of research that needs to be done in that. Let me, let, let me ask you, let's put it over under number on it. Have you had 10 or more concussions or 10 or less? I'd say 10 plus. I'd say 10 plus. Would you say 20 plus? <laughs> well, I, I mean, look know, at the guys. I, 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 I'll be honest with you, Keith Wisniewski, who I think is on your record somewhere, and uh, is another one of those up. old look at shoot guys. Keith said he's had with training and stuff. He said he put the number at one fifty, one hundred fifty concussions. Yeah, I, I would, I have no idea because I never went and got it checked out. But I do know there was plenty of times where I felt foggy. I felt a little sick to my stomach. You know, I never actually puked, but. But, you know, and I know they say that that's those are all signs. But, you know, you, you know, uh, the mindset is just different. You know, like I, I, I didn't want to admit I was hurt. You know, it, it was one of those things where I'd be fine. You know, just don't don't be a whiner, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and so all the time, you know, I would just go home and take care of myself. You know, all right, so that, that Pete Spratt fight, what do you recall from it? Uh, I just remember everybody telling me he's a WBO uh, uh, Muay Thai champ of the world. And, uh, you know, it was re real good, you know, watch out. And then in my head that just had me starting to say, well, I'm not scared of him. I, I box with better guys. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And, you know, again, it was the same thing. You know, my coaches uh, were telling me, take him down, take him down. And when I went in there, I remember in my head, I was like, you know, fuck them. I don't need to take them down. And at some point uh, he caught me with something. And I remember right away, I was like, I'm taking them down. I shot him. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, Maybe he, they were uh, right. Backed off. Yeah, he, he was able to sprawl out of it. Uh, but, but yeah, as soon as he caught me, whatever it was, I was like, oh, that's it. I'm going in. So, you know, to kind of backtrack on Miguel's statement, have you ever, do you think CT, like, do you think concussions have affected you today? Um, you know, here, I, I feel like I'm fine. I do know there's times where you know, I may misplace my car keys and I can't find them or I may forget stuff or, 
my wife's all the time telling me, I can't believe I just told you this an hour ago and you don't remember. You have no recollection. She makes a, such a big deal about it. A lot of times I'm like, oh, well, maybe I am messed up. But but to be honest with you, I think I'm fine. I mean, I... I uh, okay. Have you looked into like alternative treatments like uh, like uh, microdosing on mushrooms, <laughs> DMT or anything like that? Have you looked into that? My, my wife, uh, she's suggested the mushrooms many times. I think we've got some, but we haven't done them, you know, so I'm union and uh, I, I, I run the program uh, out at U.S. Steel. So I just I, I don't mess with that stuff, you know, in case it was ever get tested. But, uh, well, well, Steve, if, if there's if there is no test for mushrooms or DMT. Oh, really? So, okay. No. And, and, and the studies that I think like I've really been like researching this lately it allows different portions of your brain to communicate that normally don't have that ability. And it opens up like different, it maps different pathways for your brain to communicate with each other. And they recommend a heavy dose when doing so. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Steve. And you know, I, I get to talk to people, uh, you know, for a long time in this business stuff. You're, you're, you're right. You're wrong. You know, you're, you're, you are doing great. You can hold you were doing an hour long interview and everything's terrific. And, and, you know, no one's going to say, Oh, he sounds, you know, he sounds a little, and no, you are, sound very coherent. And there are guys who do go, you know, slip to that. And it's a shame when you see it, so, but you're fine, but don't be like, I'm fine. There's nothing there. Be open to your wife's suggestions and be open to taking care of yourself. You never did before. Do it now. Just as a, a, a suggestion, you know? I will, and I, you know, hell, I got three kids, so I, you know, like I told her, you know, if I'm, even I, more I, reason, even right. more reason to eat a fistful of mushrooms. <laughs> so, from the Ultimate Athlete, and the caveat to this is, Ultimate Athlete did two events, and I ran into them at the Arnold's right after the Ultimate Athlete two, and they had a guy on the card that had a whole bunch of like followers with the bikers and something happened where his, his like biker buddies were stabbing people to death yeah. uh, in the audience. That was crazy. That, uh, that one should make it to a movie. I guess it was the, in, it was the Mongols. Uh, the Mongols. Were you on that card? It was on the, the, the whole incident happened right before my fight. I was wait, fighting. wait. So you were on that card? I did. I couldn't find who else was on the card. They got canceled. I was on that card. I was going to fight. Uh, hey, Miguel, who's the who's the kid that Chris Brennan knocked out with the the head kick in King of the Cage? Uh, uh, Joe Joe Riggs. No, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up here so we're not fumbling around, but keep going with your story. Keep going, dude. I can't believe you were in the locker room at this time. Dude, I've been like literally looking for people that were on the card. I knew you were on the first one. Dude, uh -huh. this is like, to me, this is like gold. All right, just go ahead, Steve. I apologize. Yeah, they, they, no problem. They, uh, they brought me out to fight. They had us like set up in trailers and stuff. And the fight before me was this guy who I guess was with the Mongols or whatever. I, I don't even know who he was. But, you know, I can remember being in the trailer warming up and like, all right, you're on deck. And then I just hear all this commotion. And, you know, one of the uh, guys who handles the fighters and takes them to the stage was coming back. I'm like, just hang on. There's some stuff going on. Hold on. And he came back like two times, told me to hang on and be ready. And the next thing I know, I'm just hearing police sirens. 
and I start hearing like I, I it, they weren't real gunshots, but but you could hear kind of like the they were salt uh, salt bullets or whatever. You could hear the gunshot going. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, is this is a pyrotechnics. I'm, I'm in this trailer, and I'm I'm like, this is crazy. You know, what's going on? And then I look out, and I see all this commotion and stuff. And I, I started walking into uh, the area, and I just saw all kinds of crap. And I was like, holy crap! I'm just going back to the trailer. So I went back there, and you know, like an hour later or something, when they got it all calmed down, they're just like, hey, show's canceled. And uh, I was like, you get paid. Yeah, yeah, actually, I did. Uh, they and and I made an argument about it because I it was one I was really well trained for too. And I was like, no, you're not giving me my fucking show money. You're gonna give me my win money because I was coming here to win. And I said, you know, I I I, I need this because at that time I I really did for uh, I, I bills and rent and all that stuff. And I was like, I needed to win this. You're gonna give me the stuff and and and. They were like, they started to say, okay, well, we're going to pay you, but what we we may end up doing is we're going to call you back in a week and we're going to film this fight just in a warehouse. Uh, These fights that didn't happen. I said, I'm great with that. Give me whatever I need to sign. I'll do it. And I called them all week and for whatever reason, it didn't didn't go through. But uh, Steve, Steve, I can tell you why. So... And I, I know this because I'm a friggin' like, I mean, dude, I'm like psychotic with information, uh-huh. obviously. I mean, it's That's awesome. so I run into him at the Arnold's and he, these guys, they had a lot going on. Like they had like, was it like Suncoast video and all these other like big video chains would carry like their, the ultimate athlete, like, like video magazine, like on DVD. And they had very good distribution. Like, right. If you want to talk about like the stars aligning themselves, they absolutely had just, they had everything in order, but what they didn't count on was the Mongols like almost killing somebody at their event. Right. So, so I run into them at, uh, at the Arnold's and I'm like, Oh, you know, we're talking and I'm hustling t-shirts and we're kind of going back and forth. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, I'd like to correspond with you. And they're like, okay, well, you can reach us through this P.O. box. And I'm like, I remember, like, everybody was suing them. So I'm like, oh, you know, they're just kind of, like, feeding everything to the P.O. box. Well, the Arnold's is, like, three days. So by the third day, I kind of figure out they're living in a mobile, like a, like a RV. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're living in an RV is to, like, not get served with legal paperwork. Like, during the Arnold's, they were adamantly looking to make sure like that, that there wasn't lawyers coming up. Like they were legitimately freaking out in regards to like getting tagged with legal work. And the guy that got stabbed actually lived. And he said that they agreed to like a settlement of like $20,000, $25,000. And it was like on, on an Indian reservation. So no lawyers would take it. And he agreed to like $25,000, $30,000, of which they agreed to it, signed papers, and never paid them. Uh. Jeez. So they wow. were pretty much done. Miguel, did you ever come up with that name? I'm looking. I'm looking at it. Was it before your fight with uh, uh, Brandon? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was uh, probably four or five years uh, uh, before the fight with Brandon. Uh, oh, Joe uh, Hurley. Is that a fight? Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Joe Hurley's the guy. He beat him in King of the Cage. Uh, 
five with elbows. It wasn't it wasn't a head kick, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, just, did at that night did they talk about what took place, or was it just like it's canceled? Was we might see in a week or two. Well, like you know, I I knew something was going on because, like I said, you know, you could see people running by or the police with the uh, the, the salt guns and you know, I mean, uh, uh, screams and all kinds of stuff. And in the meantime, I'm like sitting in this trailer thinking, Jesus, what what's happening? And you know, what what's going to happen if people start coming in here? You know, and uh, I you know when I did walk out and I looked and I saw the mayhem and all that crap you know I right away you could figure it out you know because you could see there was a ton of those Mongols there so you could see what was going on so I was just like shit I'm gonna get back in the trailer you know and uh, you know that's that's what I did. <laughs> hey, do you know who the main event was? It was John Marsh versus Aaron Brink. Oh, Aaron Brink! Uh, I heard his career. Uh, Went over to the uh, porn business, huh? Yeah. <laughs> put a lot of work in. Put a lot of work in that guy. So from Ultimate Athlete, you return to the UFC, UFC 37, in a fight against Benji Raddick, who there was a lot of, like, regional – I would say not regional. We're going to call it locker room jealousy in regards to Raddick because he had under 10 fights, and uh-huh. he gets, like, the California treatment, like five, fifth fight UFC – and well, he fights there, you. there are a couple of things too, though. Rat Raddick, he was from the group that had given him Hallman, and you know, from Matt Humes' group and stuff. Yeah, and and he was also like we had talked about Jason Black. Raddick is another one of those guys right around the same level as Jason Black, where you know you kind of you sort of know what happened to Raddick's career afterwards. He he screwed up, but uh, right. he was a guy on a high trajectory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tough kid. Well, it was a no contest. Right. Yeah. This was one of the early controversial UFC moments, Steve. Why don't you take us through that and how you felt? Another one of those things where, you know, it's like Lady Luck just fucking fucks you up a, a lot, you know? Yeah. It, she's not on my side. That's for sure. But uh, I, you know, I came out, uh, you know, we, we started, uh, if I remember right, we started throwing some punches. I think he caught me with, with something good uh so either i felt i i got knocked down by a shot or i i went i can't even remember but anyways we we're on the uh the ground and i wrapped the leg lock up and and at that time i was just really good at ankle locks and i had caught him in a leg lock an ankle lock and i can just remember thinking oh that's it i got him and uh, he had reached out and grabbed the fence. And I was really torquing to turn over, and I couldn't figure out why he wasn't falling. And I guess as he's holding the fence with his one hand, with his other hand, he started hitting me in the back of the head. And, I mean, you know, they were, I guess, good shots, but they were in the back of the head, which is an illegal spot for one. And for two, you know, they, they weren't knocking me out or doing anything. It was back of the head stuff, you know. And uh, – so as I'm cranking for this deal, finally, I guess this referee is just watching him punch my head the whole time. And he runs in and was like, that's it. That's it. And so I shot up. And at the time, I think both me and Benji thought that he hadn't stopped the fight. He, we thought that he was just asking us to stand up and go to our corners because Benji ran to his corner. And I can remember turned to him. I was like, you realize I was just sitting on a submission 
and I start uh, kind of going to my corner and he's like, no, that's, that's it. Fight's over. And he like waved it off. And I was like, what? And <laughs> so, and that, that was uh, one fight when I walked out, uh, Dana was like, Hey, look, uh, don't worry about this. We're, we're going to have you back. You know, that was a bad call, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. You, you know, the thing is like, I, they made it a no contest and they said it was because of strikes delivered while a fence was being grabbed. So right. it's, it's actually like, if you really look at it in today's, like the modern day of mixed martial arts, that's not a no contest. That, that's actually a win. Right. Right. You know, that, that's a disqualification. Right. And, and I believe it was an elbow that you got hit with, if I recall correctly. And I have not watched the fight since it happened, but I, right. I, I do recall it was like it being an elbow. It's, a, it's funny. If, if, if it really says strikes being the, the no, no contest due to strikes being delivered while holding the fence. If that's it, it's like the ref was what too confused. It was like too much going on for him. He just couldn't handle it. I mean, what's going on? I, I think uh, I don't think that ref was ever asked back after that. You could you check that one, but I'm pretty sure I kind of remember because I think Dana was pretty ticked about that one, and uh, uh, I don't think he was ever asked back because after he stopped mine so early and didn't let it continue. I think he got a guy about murdered like two or three fights later. He just let that guy just take unbelievable punishment. I guess he was trying to overcorrect from getting yelled at for stopping mine so quick. But So I don't think he was ever asked. Well, well, you could probably make an argument with an attorney that they owe you your, your win money. You know, yeah. I'm not, uh, not saying go down that route, but, you know, you need a little down payment, get your basement done or something mm -hmm. like that. You might want to revisit that conversation. <laughs> well, let me, at least they they held up with their promise because they bought you right back for the you know for Lawler. Yeah. Well, so, here it's I mean, thirty-seven point five, and it's the first televised bout. And like, if I like Jeff Jeff Osborne, like in my opinion, is just a freaking genius. Like, there's like a mad scientist happening inside that guy's head with MMA, mm -hmm. and. What I think the UFC was trying to do with you was mimic what took place with Aaron Riley. Yeah. yeah and, it you know, and they mixed and matched you with Robbie Lawler. Did, did you have an idea that the trajectory of Robbie Lawler, like that ceiling was as high as it, it, it became? No, I hadn't. And it's funny. You could even look at my, uh, my fight with Raddick. I, I, you know, I was just way you know, I had the love handles and just, you know, I had been just roofing and, and, you know, drinking on weekends with my buddies. And I, I just hadn't, you know, I was just thinking, well, I had my shot and it's done, you know, cause when you lose, you take it so hard and you're like, well, they're never going to call me back. You know, I'm a loser, blah, blah, blah. And when that deal all went down with Raddick, cause originally they had pasted it as a, a loss that was the one thing uh, as a manager my dad did right he really fought hard and he was the one who ended up getting it overturned uh to a no contest and uh so you know i was just so bummed out i wasn't really Talk about clueless what did mark it as a loss and then i mean yeah. that, that is just they marked clueless. it as a loss that night and the whole bit and I just left thinking well you know I'm never going to make it as a fighter and blah 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 and so you know uh I, I ended up just going back I spent the days roofing you know getting 
drunk with my buddies on the weekends and here like three weeks before the Lawler fight, I get a call from Joe Silva and he's like, Hey, I got a fight for you. Actually, my dad called me and I was on the roof and my dad's like, Hey, guess who just called? And I was like, who? He said, Joe Silva. He's got a fight for you in three weeks. I said, dad, I'm not training. I haven't been. He's like, you don't tell the UFC. No. I told him you're in. I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> and then I went. Replace? What's that? Who did you replace? I have no clue. No clue who I replaced or anything. My my dad took the call and I just, uh, I just, you know, I was like, okay, great. I'm in. I'll do it. And I used to know the uh, answer to that question. You know, I mean, I went. What's that? I, I used to know the answer what? to that question, Miguel. It's going to drive oh, me crazy until I think of it. I'll probably think of it tomorrow. I, I don't know. I think I think it was uh, – it may have been Aaron Riley who we're going to be – I want to say Aaron Riley, actually. I, I, I do want to say that. That that was the one that came to mind for me, and I'm doing it from memory. Uh, interestingly, see, we're interviewing Aaron in a couple of days here, so we're going down the, the old hook-and-shoot murderers row here. Oh, good deal. We'll tell him I said hi. We'll so – from the Lawler fight, you know, yeah, not not an easy not an easy pill to swallow, especially you know two in a row from the UFC. Um, you you kind of get flown into a hometown type situation, which is kind of you know the underlying the like uh, theme here, where you fight Nuri Shakur, uh, Shakir, but Nuri previous to this. Uh, he broke the jaw of your teammate, Todd Fox. Yeah. Did that, did you think that maybe like that Nuri was kind of targeting your team or was this a revenge bout on your end? Where did well, this I, come into play? I cornered Todd that night and right. Nuri broke his jaw. And I just remember being so upset. You know, I mean, Nuri was here. Let me fast forward before I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Nuri and I get along great now. Uh, we, we'll, talk on facebook and i really like nuri i think he's a good guy smart uh, guy absolutely but when i watched him i saw him break todd's jaw and i really you know todd was just a phenomenal ground fighter wasn't so good with his hands and and i really went in thinking that todd would get him down and then you know that would be that well nuri broke his jaw and obviously like any one of us that would jump up and go get excited because we won the fight well I took that personally you know I was over there like what I can't believe he broke my friend's jaw and he's bouncing around and so I went up to whoever that promoter was and I was like you know set us up I, I might Miguel might even set that fight up uh and and, and I might have said hey uh, you know I want to fight him and uh so then then I got the fight you know and that was that you know well you had trouble with Nuri, and Nuri's striking was – it's very slick. He was lighting and, me up, without a doubt. Without you know, much. and he, he had you rocked. And the one thing that – like, if you look at Nuri's career, if anything involving his neck took place, he just would freak out. And sure. you, you tapped him out to a guillotine choke with, like, literally two seconds left in the first round. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I caught him in a really good, uh, really good throw. Uh, I think it was a, a an over under soup, and and I caught him with that. And then I can't remember if during the scramble, 
he came uh, or maybe maybe after that scramble from that we got up and you know he was getting the better of me uh stand up and then i i might have just shucked his head down and caught the guillotine i i i don't remember exactly i just know i i caught the guillotine i know the he tapped and boom you know it was like two seconds left in the round so yeah yeah that's good you know, from there, you, you fight Din Thomas and Phil Johns at home. And I think that may have been Randy Greenman's last uh, promoted event. Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. That was it. I uh, fought, fought, uh, fought Din in Florida, lost a decision to Din. And then I fought Phil Johns. And I, I was, that was dumb. I, I think the shooto weight was 153 pounds. And I should never have fought at 153. I, I mean, I was, uh, especially maybe, maybe I could have fought at 153 if I had somebody who knew how to teach me how to cut weight. But I mean, I, I mean, I just diarrhea and, and, and just terrible from my, you had a huge crowd there. Oh, I, that was terrible. I, I think that was probably my worst fight ever. I don't think I really did anything after 30 seconds. I think all I did was just lay there thinking, uh, I, I have no energy. <laughs> it was just so, terrible. So when Randy came up missing, the promoter came up missing, mm-hmm. I, I remember getting the phone calls from people that cared about him. Like, hey, have you talked to him? Because Randy and I would talk all the time. Sure. Did, were you on the receiving end of any of those? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, the homicide detective called me cause you know, Randy, Randy and I talked all the time. Like I said, I, we would hang out and, uh, I, you know, I used to, uh, uh, train him. He'd hire me to train him in private, uh, like once a week. And, uh, boy, that was, that was fun. You know, Randy didn't have a ton of technique, but he knew what he was doing. He was also 450 pounds and that's all yeah. Randy ever wanted to do. I, I earned my money. Because uh, all Randy ever really wanted to do was spar, and that's—I don't care how good you are—it was—it was tough uh, sparring Randy. You know, I would always end up getting him because after a couple minutes, he'd be out of gas. But boy, it was a rough couple minutes for me. You know, you know, uh, Miguel, I, and Chris Lytle—we do this podcast, and twenty years from now, we're still going to be doing the same thing. Like we're historians. We just—we love getting into like or getting our hands dirty with sure. information. And I, I have publicly stated on more than one occasion, if for some unknown reason, if this thing takes off, whatever, I will pay for a bust of Randy Greenman in Belleville, Illinois, based on his love for the sport and his impact on the local scene there, because it was incredible. I love it. Yeah. Well, you look at some of those cards, like you were mentioning earlier and here he had uh, me, Chris Brennan, Sean Shirk, Carl Parisian, uh, all in the same card, all in the same tournament. You know, I mean, he uh, he, he had a he had a knack for it. It was pretty good. So you're on a like a you're literally on a two fight skid, and I think Keith Wisniewski is your next bout. Yeah, that. That, was a, that was a tough one. That was, you know, Wisniewski, who's a ground guy. Um, obviously, your Golden Glove boxer, fantastic hands. I, that was uh, that was like two bulls just running into each other over and over and over and over again. I mean, yeah. you, you talk about concussions. There's no way you weren't concussed after that fight. Yeah, we knocked the shit out of each other. That's for sure. And I don't, uh, 
I don't know if if I asked Bob Shermer several times if there was a tape of that, and he there said, is. I know I've seen it. I think Keith Wisniewski has it. Does he? Because I've never even seen it. You know, it's like, it's one of those things uh, I'd, I'd really like to watch that one because we knocked the crap out of each other. But I I never did get a copy of it. Well, you know, that's another one from the old. You know, somebody saw you fight Aaron and Wisniewski. You know, is kind of the same style. Not a lot of head motion with Wisniewski. You know, he's hit a right. right. <laughs> Well, you guys definitely tagged each other. That was nuts. Like that fight was was absolutely crazy. It was at Cicero Stadium. Um, you guys were the main event. Yeah, I know. I was I was front row center for that for that bout as well. Um, there was kind of like a crazy thing that happens too. Like you then get flown to Quebec, and you have a rematch with Nuri Shakir again. Yeah, yeah. How does like and you know the pay per view model for them? This was like you know past the time when everybody was getting locked up. It was it was legalized in Quebec. Was this a Stefan Patrick show? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Alex Caparici was kind of uh, setting me up with fights at that point, and he had called me and said, "Hey, we got a uh, we got a deal out here. Do you want to fight?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And he said, all right, uh, what about a rematch with Murray? And I said, sure, let's do it. Why did you do that? I, you know, again, just uh, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have proper management. And I just, I hate to say no. I, I wasn't a smart fighter, you know. I mean, I just, I needed the money and and I just went ahead and uh, I, I, I took it. I did it, you know. But, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, I ended up losing a decision on that one and, uh and I just, you know, it was silly on my part. And, and then walk us through your fight with Jorge Masvidal. You you never took a corner with you. Why? Actually, I did. My student at the time was Pat Healy. And uh, I was going to take Pat. I had him all signed up. He was ready to go. And then uh, what was that show that uh, – oh, Christ. Uh, <laughs> It was the IFC maybe? Uh, is that it? Or oh, it was, uh, about the team? Uh, uh, IFL. The team? Yeah, the IFL. That was it. Yeah. Anyways, Pat had gotten a call. Hey, we need you to fight out here on this deal. And and you know, like we were set to leave two or three days. Uh, you know, going to Russia, and Pat's like, "Look, you can't." You know, I said, "No, no, go do your deal." And uh, I didn't. You know, again, I was just dumb. I was just like, that's fine. I'll go out because I think I had I had called Miguel and asked him to set me up with that fight with Masvidal because uh, I, I believed I'd be able to beat him. And uh, so Miguel did. And I, I was just like, all right, well, let's just go and fight. You know, it was just kind of the mindset I had at the time. And that was in yeah. St. Petersburg. But was there a lot of trash talk before the, the bout? Because – you know, Jorge's kind of known for that. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm sure he was talking trash. I know I talked some trash to Miguel about it and stuff. And, uh, you know, as far as he and I talking beforehand, I don't know there was much going on. Now there was a lot of talk while we were fighting. But, uh, yeah, you know, I caught that. Yeah, beforehand, no. So <laughs> what happens to you when you see him? And all the success he got, like, afterwards. Like, how do you feel? Like, are you happy for him? 
Like, like, cause Wisniewski fought him, and Wisniewski's like happy, like he likes everybody he fought except for George. He hates him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, here's the deal. I'm, uh, I'm happy for him because I, you know, if you watch 52 seconds into the third round, I tapped him. He, uh, he, he started tapping. We were fighting in a ring. My legs were caught in a rope. I had a guillotine on him. And you tell me, I think it was 52 or 53 seconds into the uh, third round. Tell me what he was doing with his right hand if he wasn't tapping. You know, I think uh, I caught him in that choke. Uh, he starts doing like this underneath. And then he realizes my legs caught because he, he, he started trying to circle out. And when he circled out, he realized the pressure was off because I didn't have my leg up uh, uh, for the guard. And me and the refs missed it totally at that time. And, of course, you know, I, I don't blame him. He's not going to say, oh, I tap. And I didn't even realize it until uh, after it went on TV and my phone started blowing up. People were calling me like, hey, I, I think you tapped him. You tapped him. So, but, so, you know, it's kind of neat to see it, you know, at least for, for me and my friends. We always just kind of laugh and joke about, you know, hey, uh, uh, you got him. And, uh <laughs> You know, it just, it is what it is, you know. So your 38th fight was uh, also in Bodog. It was in Costa Rica. It was uh, Peter Jakosinski. And the thing that I recall most about that fight, other than Phil Baroni being in your corner, so I'm assuming you flew down there again without anybody, um, unless Phil moved to St. Louis for a training camp with you. <laughs> uh, no, I came, uh, I came down there with Pat Healy. And uh, the first round, Pat was in my corner, cornering me. And then Phil, I guess he was loving the fight because just knocked So Phil just ran in and, uh, you know, I mean, Pat just bowed down. It was Phil Baroni. You know? So he just let let Phil corner me, you know. That's and, cool. Uh, did, did you hurt your knee the night before? Yeah, I did. I was, uh, I was in there training with Pat. We were wrestling hard and uh, I popped it. And, you know, I, I was like, crap. When I went to uh, their little doctors there, they said they thought that I might've done something to my MCL. And at that time uh, I had just had my son and I was just getting ready to buy uh, a keeping up with the Joneses house. And I needed that money. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm fighting no matter what, you know, I, I just tape it up and uh, throw a knee pad over it and, you know, I, it, you had very it, limited movement. Like you were throwing one, two, one, two, one, two. And when you needed to throw the three and four, you just, you couldn't do it. I was assuming that was because of your knee. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, uh, a lot of people ask me, how did you feel that stuff? And to be honest with you, I felt fine. Like I said, that, that adrenaline's amazing. That's why junkies, uh, knock o over, uh, ambulances and, and steal it. And, you know, my adrenaline was going, I don't, remember at any point in that fight like oh I can't stand you know it's you know I I, I felt fine uh I I do know that at the end of the first round I I caught him with a good hook that just broke his nose yeah and uh I knew I was in trouble when when he fucking just grabbed it and sent it back into place and started firing back shots <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> yeah, this is Polish. Yeah, there's something to be said. And then you get invited to Tough Nine to fight to get into the house. Obviously, it's an exhibition bout. 
but um, you lost to Jason Pierce, but I don't think Jason Pierce even made the show. He made it, but he, uh, something goofy happened. Uh, he made it, and then he, uh, first week or second week, they either got hurt or he was complaining about something or whatever, but he got, left. He got taken off or he left or something. I forget what the story was, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he made it, though. Hmm. So you close out your career with six more fights, uh, four of which fought in the UFC, Bellator, and Shudo. Um, what tells you, like, what, what was it your internal voice? What told you to stop? You know, I just, I, I started losing. I wasn't training very much towards the end. You know, I mean, it was, uh, you had people would call up, say, hey, you want to fight in this? And I think, yeah, I, you know, I, I do. I want to try and make and, and And at that point, it wasn't really even about the money or anything like that. I, I had gotten into the union and I was working every day at that time. And, you know, it was kind of like yeah, I had the dreams that I want to get back to the UFC and I want to take care of my mom and dad. And uh, so I would say, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, day would go by and I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired from work. I'll just train tomorrow. And then oh, I'll train tomorrow. I'll train tomorrow. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, it's fight time. And I was like, well, all right, here we go. You know, so and it it, it, uh, it was just stupidity on my part, really. I mean, just kind of. Uh, becoming a payday fighter or whatever, just just doing it to do it. Hmm. It's it's hard. Uh, I was going to ask you early in the, on when you mentioned adrenaline and stuff like that. Is that was that part of it too that you had the anxiety and stuff? But then once you get locked in with the adrenaline, you got that buzz. It's like a junkie that was like, all right, there it is, there it is again. I feel better. I feel good. Is it? Would you say that? The adrenaline is one of the reasons you hung on a little bit at the end. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I mean, I really do. You know, it's, it's funny uh, when you're walking down that aisle, I tell everybody, man, you know, you're alive. And part of me hates that feeling. Part of me loves that feeling. Part of me all the time is like, man, I just, I kind of miss it, you know, and I, I'll shoot something out like, Oh, I'm going to, I, I might just do, cause I, I feel like I'm in great shape. I, I still, even now, to this day at 47, I, I stay in great shape. I, I make it, uh, even with COVID and all that stuff, I haven't grappled in like nine or 10 months, but I'm doing a thousand pushups a week. I'm doing 200 pull-ups. I'm doing like a thousand body squats a week. You know, I mean, I feel in good shape and I'm always like, Oh, maybe I'll get in there and knock off one of these up and comers. And then my wife's like, you're doing, we're getting divorced. Here. <laughs> <laughs> You follow, uh, you follow her lead now. It's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if hey, you see me back in there, I'm single. <laughs> hey, hey, let me ask you. Um, we, we talked a little bit, and, and I hinted at it, but we, so we, of all these fights, because you fought a murderer's row we've been talking about. Like, So what was your biggest payday? Uh, my biggest payday, I guess, was uh, the Costa Rica one with uh, Piotr, Jack Kaczynski. I think I got uh, – 10 grand. And then I want to say I got a $5,000 bonus or, uh, so I think it was 15 grand altogether. That was my, that was my biggest, biggest payday. Okay. Well, I'm glad I was able to do that. It, it's yeah. not really, it's, I wish it was more, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it goes to show cause that, that really, the sports change has gotten bigger and stuff, but there are a lot of guys 
from your era that are going to have just that story that they didn't get into the big paydays. And it's just kind of a shame. Steve, you, know? you still follow it? Do you still follow the UFC? Not really. Uh, yeah, of course, when uh, Connor fought Poirier uh, last week, uh, you know, I, I watch that, you know, and uh, but but for the most part, I may catch a handful of them. Uh, you know, I, I still love it. And and, you know, it's it's a uh, it's still something like I love going to the gym. And if the guys want to get together and watch something, I, I will. But a lot of times are you working out at what gym? Well, for a long time, when I left Rodrigo, I opened my own deal. And right. I guess about five years ago, I closed my my gym down. So then I just kind of sat on the couch. I started getting fat. And uh, it just so happened that right about the time, I was like, man, I need to get in shape. This other smaller gym had called me and said, hey, will you come and coach there? And I was like, yeah, Absolutely. So I went and I coached there for a few months and that, you know, that allowed me to train and, and to coach. And then from there, you know, I, I left there and went to another deal. And I think I've probably been at about four or five different gyms. And uh, the gym I was at was uh, this extreme crowd Maga and Fenton. And I was coaching the jujitsu there and the MMA and the COVID hit and my, my wife was pregnant with our daughter or, or just had her. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not going to take a chance of giving the baby and the kids. So I've, I've just been off, but I've, I've just been uh, training and working out like a madman, like I said, you know, uh, just waiting for the stuff to lift. Hey, you mentioned, you mentioned that, uh, unfortunately, you and Mike kind of parted, parted ways uh, when you broke up with Rodrigo. Do you still keep in touch with Todd? No, uh, you know, I, every once in a while, Todd and I will talk, but, but again, uh, you know, and Todd, Todd and Gidry both and on, uh, you know, Hey, Rodrigo's going to do his thing. Steve's going to do his thing. We're just in the middle. And, uh, you know, I mean, so I, I would talk to those guys, but, uh, you know, when they're, they're training and stuff, you know, it's obviously they're doing their thing and I was doing my thing. And so we, we lost touch, but every once in a while, I'll talk to Todd. He's, he's done real well. He ended up uh, going out to Hollywood and uh, kind of becoming a stuntman, or not a stuntman, a bodyguard for uh, uh, Madonna and Guy Ritchie and, you know, just all the big name people. I, I had heard some of that stuff, too. Very interesting. I mean, interesting paths of life. So, so, Steve, you put a lot of miles on your car, and when you do that, you meet a lot of interesting people. Sure. Did you ever meet like any con men or anything like that along the way? Because generally speaking, anyone that's been around a business for more than 10 years, they've got a funny story involving a con. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard some stories about people getting conned and stuff. As far as me, I didn't get conned or if I did, uh, they were so good. I didn't even realize it. So I, you know, myself, I didn't get, I didn't get conned or taken that I, that I could tell. Well, wasn't there, wasn't there like a, an episode with like a, like a kid with cancer? Didn't you like have some guy flown to the UFC? Didn't I what now? After what? what? Some kid with cancer, like that his dad got taken to the UFC or. or oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Shit. I totally forgot all about that. Tim yeah. Tyre. Oh yeah. God, all right. That. Bust it. Go ahead. Bust the story. All right. Wait, wait, now Steve. Steve, you kind of mentioned this to me, and I, I obviously you don't recall me. I had hair at the time. Before you fought Keith Wisniewski, I knew this story because you told it to me. 
So, so, so go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Yeah. No, I totally forgot all about that. Uh, that was, that was, you know, here, here's my dad. We finally get into uh, uh, the UFC and this is what I was saying. My, my old man, he, he was really smart in some senses and really stupid in others. And here, you know, we were, we were hurting. I told you about the position my mom was in and all this stuff. And I, I just, my dad starts getting this call uh, from what's supposed to be this kid that uh, uh, is uh, has bone cancer or something like that, and my and he's telling my dad how he just is such a big fan of mine and all this. Well, my dad's eating all this up, and then my dad calls me. He's like, "Hey, this kid with bone cancer, uh, he, he he's really a big fan of yours, and he really like talk to you." Uh, can I can I have him call you? And I was like, yeah, I guess, sure, Dad. So I, you know, here I'm talking to this kid, and they nothing ever seemed right. I mean, I can remember one time talking to this kid, and he it was telling me he was a 14 year old kid, and now he's, you know, he'd go off on these. He sounded like a 14 year old, you know. He'd, he would go off on these tangents about how he was wrestling, and this guy was messing with him, so he beat him up, and blah blah blah. And so, oh, okay, cool. But then I would hear like somebody dragging on a cigarette. And I was like, Tim, are you smoking? No. And I, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and, and so the next thing I know, my dad is constantly talking to him. I would find myself, you know, I'd feel bad because I'd be like, Jesus, this kid just rambles on forever. And I, you know, I don't have time to sit here and talk to him for an hour. And my dad would constantly talk to him. And, uh, uh, next thing I know my dad's like hey my dad was you know acting as my manager so he was talking to Dana and all of them and he's like hey guess what I told the UFC about him and they want to fly him out and have him sit there and watch you fight in your first fight I was like are you okay great you know sounds good I in my head I'm thinking why didn't you mention mom you know and but but anyways he did what he did and uh this this guy, like a week before, comes up with this big story about how his mom, who was a junkie, uh, was on death or on her deathbed, and the kid has to go, but the dad really wants to come. And, you know, would that be all right? So my dad, like, hooks us all up with the UFC. And the next thing I know, I got this, what I think is this Tim Tyrell's father but is actually Tim Tyrell. And I remember the first time my dad <laughs> brought him to uh, the, the hotel room, like I shook hands with him and he speaks to me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you sound just like your son. Goes, oh yeah. A lot of people say that. I, <laughs> well, oh, you know, coming, yeah. Oh, it was just unbelievable. And uh, I forget how we ended up finding out. Cause it probably was like a few months after, uh, uh, that we ended up finding out, uh, or my dad found out somehow that it was the same person. And then what's funny is he would always talk to me about Dwayne Ludwig and tell me how he was, you know, real good friends and talked to Dwayne Ludwig all the time too. So as soon as I found that out, I was so pissed off. I, I found Dwayne Ludwig's phone number and I called him and I was like, Hey, you know that Tim Tyrell? He was like, yeah. I was like, Hey, it's a fucking scam, man. And I told him the whole deal and he's like, Holy shit. Are you kidding? I've been talking to him forever. And, and so, you know, I mean, uh, at least I was able to blow that for that guy. You know, there, there's, there's so many strange people that come out of the woodworks. 
Wes Sims has got probably the greatest con story of all time where this dude is just sending him money. And I mean, just somehow Wes got money out of the guy. Um, he, he, would, he would use my address, you know, so he, he, the guy wouldn't know where he lived. It, dude, it's just everybody that's been around the sport at least 20 years has got one of those stories like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. No, no, Steve, and, and seriously, because Mike's not telling you the whole story. Go on YouTube and look up what what's the name of the documentary? There, there's a there's a documentary called Tickled, Tickled. and it's about like the Tickle Federation dude, of America. Dude, the guy, the guy is is fed, he would get MMA fighters of a lower level or whatever. No, you know, send them money and they would have to tickle each other, not fight, yes. tickle each it, other. And Sims having money sent to my house where you know my my then wife was just like, there's like two grand in here. And I'd be like, huh? And, you know, Wes would call me up, did you get my money? Did you get my money? And, you know, I'd have to like talk him off a ledge because of the weird conversations they were having. But I'm just like, hey, dude, you know, two grand's two grand as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Weston, boy, Weston's a character in himself, man. I uh, I remember fighting on the show that he was at in uh, Canada, I think. And man, he's a he's a character. He's he's something else. I mean, good guy. Oh, yeah. I just remember just completely animated and the whole bit. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of uh, some, I do have one funny story that I just remember too. And this was probably three or four years into my fighting career. I remember I get a call from a guy who says, told me he's like the kicker for the University of Arizona or something like that. Uh, tells me that uh, he's getting into MMA and he's seen some of my fights and he would pay me 300 bucks if I would coach him for a week. And then at the end of the week, we could fight. And I, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. No problem. You know, and yeah. he, he, he cash. Cash uh -huh. check, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just like, yeah, sure, no problem. If you got the money, I, that, that sounds good, you know? And so uh, he, I wasn't thinking much of it, but uh, I end up, uh, I'm like, all right, well, here, I'll meet you at this place, blah, blah, blah. Well, he shows up. He's a big guy, uh, much bigger than I was and stuff. And, and we go down to the deal, and he's like, you know what? How about we just start out uh, with the fight? And I said, okay, well, let's do it. So I end up uh, uh, putting the gloves on, and we go at it. And, I mean, he knew nothing. He was big and he was strong. And I, within a minute, I had him down and armbarred him, and, and that was that. And I was like, you want to go again? And he's like, uh, no, no, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll just meet back here tomorrow and we'll, we'll, we'll do it then. And I said, okay, and he gave me the money. And he left, showed up the next day. He wasn't there. I never heard from him again, you know. So he got a, his money's worth. Yeah. Oh, he got <laughs> I, his I, money's I, worth. I felt bad. I beat him up pretty good. But I figured, you know, I, I better do this because, uh, you know, he said he's going to give me this 300. So <laughs> Steve, no, I did, Steve, I did, did exactly what it is he wanted you to do. You, yeah. you beat his ass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, un unfortunately, you uh, know, Three hundred bucks. You should have. You should have held out for a little more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well that, was, that was all there was to that one. But uh, well, Steve, we've had you for about two and a half hours, two hours twenty minutes. I, obviously, we've taken a ton of your time, and 
we sincerely appreciate these deep history dives mean a ton to both Miguel, uh, myself, and Chris. And we really appreciate you uh, partaking in it. Uh, hey, I, I love it. I love taking these trips down memory lane. Now, you guys may have to apologize to my wife because she's been, Chase, come on, come on. Here, bring her, <laughs> go into the bedroom. Let's see what she's doing. <laughs> we might as well seal the deal, you know? Get me beat up, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, she's uh, she's good for, for putting up with us, and uh, we thank her for, for giving us yeah. uh, yourself and your time there for a little bit. Go take care of the little baby and stuff, and I'll let you know. Thank you. Stuff. Thank That's you. Thank you. Good talking to you both. Big hug, Steve. Thanks for everything, man.